Felt more like Potsy directed. <laughs> well, what Ron Howard movie lately is that not true about? Ooh, ouch. What's the last one he made? Rush, which no, none of us saw, but I've heard it's good. But uh, I've heard it's better than this. Like, no one really cared about it. And they're like, well, if you're going to see a Hemsworth Ron Howard movie. Actually, do you guys remember what he did before, right before Rush? Because I've completely forgotten this. Yeah, he did Frost Nixon. Yeah, that that showed up. What? I love that thing. I know, but the thing is, it's it's not like he just shot Peter Morgan's script. Like it was, he didn't. Yeah, he just didn't screw it up. Like that that was what happened there. That's still an impressive accomplishment. All right, Kevin, do you have other taglines for In the Heart of the Sea for us before we talk too much Uh, about this thing? Isn't the takeaway supposed to be that the sea's heartless? Uh, the most tasteful treatment of cannibalism since he's just not that into you. Oh, good. Okay. I like that one, Kelly Wan. <laughs> a whale's eye is like a doll's eye, cheap, glassy, and disposable. Except it's not, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I had, I was, I was going to lay bets doll? on when doll's eye showed up in this podcast. Yeah, definitely not like a doll's eye. It's uh, the, I have a bad feeling about this. Kelly Wan, do you have a, a contest that you could pit, you could use to pit me and Dingus against each other and see which one of us is a winner this week and which one of us yeah, is? What I would that, explain that contest to the listeners and then submit it to me, submit me, me and Dingus to it. Wait, I have to explain the rules? Yeah. Tell us this? what you're going to do right before we. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the rules of this feature are uh-huh. I'm going to read something an idiot wrote on IMDb as a synopsis for a movie. Okay. It's on IMDb, a site I have no affiliation with or care about in any way. Now, Kelly Wan, these are credited to people, so you might have just hurt someone's feelings when he or she realizes you're reading a synopsis he or she wrote. Well, yeah, you're right. I take that part back. Because obviously there was something about it that made me want to read it a lot. A lot of the appeal of some of these synopses, by the way, I don't necessarily know if they're written by idiots, but a lot of them are written by people who obviously don't have English as their first language. (laughs) Right, right. It's very entertaining and a kind of, you know. We can all learn from it. Right, but there's no reason. Second language. Yeah, that's a good point. There's no what, Dinkus? There's no reason to insult people like Magnolia Fan or whoever. (laughs) Does. They don't care what I think. That's my theory on when I say anything mean about anyone. That's how I rationalize it. Well, what what is the synopsis this week? And uh, is it does it sound? Let's find out. Does it sound like it's someone who has English as their first language? Does it sound like a Magnolia fan? Uh, and I feel bad because it's more yeah. Dingus zone again. That's fine. Uh, Straying into it because your zone's a little more esoteric. We might surprise you, Kelly Wand. Mm. 
Yeah, it's true. They actually usually do. Mm-hmm. I'm a little gun shy after last week, so I, you know I'm not sure I'm going to try to jump forward. Right. Uh, you made it clear that you're, yeah, you're you're a Jonathan Taylor Thomas fan. Yeah, that was a, last year. Yeah, that, that was a little embarrassing. I should I should have shut up. I thought that too. I agree with you. It was embarrassing, but I also feel like you can't help yourself, and I could, I can't either. Like I need people to know that I've seen all the Gary Marshall holiday movies. <laughs> Is that a hint for this week's synopsis? No. All right. Too easy, Tom. All right. Just gonna be after all the rules I just explained. It wouldn't be that easy. Did you really think so? I don't know. Let's Famous find out. quotes: Retired Lieutenant Commander Quentin something spends his days puttering around the Caribbean in the old PT seventy three selling. Oh, uh, ho- something. Somebody's war. Some the war. Someone's war. Hoyle's war. Hoyle's War. Is that what it's called? Shoot. All right. He's brought out of retirement when his old nemesis turned the second best terrorist in the world, Major Vladikov, takes over the island of San Moreno and starts building a nuclear launch silo on it. Wow. With help from his old crew and hindrances from (laughs) Captain Wallace B. Big Captain. Hindrances, Dingus. You heard me. Or uh, whoever wrote this. I don't even give them credit. Is this legal? <laughs> With help from his old crew and hindrances from Captain Wallace B. Binghampton, who sank a cruise liner a while back. <laughs> is that his resume? Yeah, it's between commas even, like, uh, yeah, this happened. Uh, blank tries to put Vladikov out of business. Vladikov, what a great... You're using these names just to make me feel bad about Seaman Beaumont. I know what the, I know what you're doing. Well, it's obviously the person's name is in the title, or Kelly Wan probably would oh. be hiding it. See, it's Tom's Quentin. Gamer. Quentin, somebody. Yeah, Quentin, command lieutenant, retired lieutenant commander Quentin Blank. What's the thing? I was thinking of the thing. Isn't there something where like Peter well, O'Toole is, is a is a is a pilot who straps a torpedo to a boat and drives it into a, a U-boat? It's like wow. stranded in a lagoon. Oh, somebody's war. Bridge over the River Kwai? No, it's like somebody's war. Or there's Hart's War, but that's a Bruce Willis movie. Right, right, it's not that. Uh, But it's his character, and he's like just this wacky old guy who's living on this island, and the U-boat gets stuck, and and he blows it up. I think, I just want to say for the record, I think Tom said Hoyle's War, because I like trying to figure out why Tom says things. Well, Mm -hmm. that's what I thought it was called. I don't know if it's Because you would think Hoyle... No. Terrible guess. Uh, No, I'm just saying... (laughs) Uh, Hoyle is the thing that those playing card decks have on them. Like, that's a yeah. brand playing card. And then Tom was thinking of the card game War. So he put them together. Yeah, because according to Hoyle is a is a well-known saying. Uh, well, there is, it turns out, there's this thing with Charles <laughs> Dance. There's a thing with Charles Dance called Foil's War. Um, oh. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I watched that with uh, my ex-stepfather-in-law. But it's not I the really thing. That. It's not the thing with Peter O'Toole, though. I don't know what that is. That's some something's war. You guys are going to feel silly when you don't know what it is, and all the listeners are like, "Oh yeah, that's an awesome movie." I can't believe Dingus and Kelly Wan didn't know it. Right, right. That's every movie. All right, well, Kelly Wan, carry on with uh, the synopsis. We'll, we'll see if, or is it over? Was that, was that all of it? Yeah. Well, I have no. It idea. ends with hindrances and hindrances. Wallace, Captain Wallace B. Binghampton. He sank a cruise liner a while back. That's how. That's how pivotal he is to the plot. 
No, the only thing I think about when you were talking about somebody driving a weird car around an island was Rum Diaries, but it's not that. Or Rum Diary. So, can it's really, it sounds like we, a, both, we both lose. Yeah. Yeah, this is rare. I really thought Dingus was going to get it. I thought I was being too obvious. Nope. Go for it. You, you got us. Go ahead. Yeah. It's Mikhail's Navy. Oh, see, I, I was closest. Because yeah. the thing I was right, That's true. You got the apostrophe correct. Yeah. <laughs> I would give Tom, like, a little plus mark so that if there's ever a tie, he gets, like, a little extra plus mark. Right. It just nudges it a little bit in my in my yeah. side of the so slight bit, like playing uh, Emerald, whatever that game is. McHale's Navy? Isn't that one of those things that's based on a TV show? Like, isn't that like yeah. a Gilligan's Island movie? But but a, yeah. yeah, Bruce Campbell's in it, and oh. Frazier's the star. He's Mikhail. You mean like? Frazier, Wait, I think of. I thought you were talking about the guy from no, Tom True Arnold. Lies, Tom Arnold. Yeah, I got Mikhail's Navy is Tom Arnold. I got it mixed up with Down Periscope. Uh, I was. I, I've know. done that before, and you yelled at me for it. By the way, Kelly. <laughs> I yelled at you for that. Well, I, I, to be fair, I called it up, Periscope, I think. I think you're too sensitive about – I think you worried – like, I think you even knew that this was McHale's Navy, but you were gun-shy. So you, I did. I did. I had no idea. I was actually thinking of this weird movie about taxes that, that somebody else's war, like like some guy who – like John Lithgow. It's not Harry and the Hendersons, but it's some weird – like Harry's War or something like that. This, According this, to Hoyle's a famous saying. Yeah, according to Hoyle, it's it's a it's a quote in uh, Pulp Fiction. Even it's, it's, it's aren't the rules according to Hoyle? Yeah, it's, it's a book of like different card games you can play. Yeah, yeah, but the quote is just an attribution. Can't help you there, Kelly Wand. Uh, so Kelly Wand, McHale's Navy was the synopsis. Oh, okay. Neither of us guided, I'm afraid. But, but Tom gets the advantage. Yeah, and, and speaking of naval shenanigans, because what see? did we see this week? <laughs> this week we saw In the Heart of the Sea, oh. a 2015 American biographical action-adventure thriller movie hmm. about the true-life story that inspired The Scarlet Letter. It was directed by Ron Howard and written by Charles Levitt, with story help by Rick Jaffa uh-huh. and Amanda Silver, based on the book In the Heart of the Sea, colon, The Tragedy of the Wellship Essex by Nathaniel Philbrick. It stars Killian Murphy, Chris Hemsworth, Michelle Fairley, Ben Wishaw, and Brendan Gleeson. In the Heart of the Sea is rated PG-13 for intense Sequences of action and peril, brief, startling violence, and thematic material. And also uh, scrimshaw porn. <laughs> I just love brief, startling violence. That that's a thing. Startling. It's it's not just it's not brief violence. It's not violence, but it's brief, startling violence. So that's what gives it a PG thirteen. That's what violent all violence is. Well, it's uh, not. I want to add. No, that's not true. Uh, violence can be uh, long-lasting. Uh, it cannot be startling. We can be expecting it, but brief, startling violence, I think, is very specific. Brief startling is you not expecting it, and so is whatever else you said. <laughs> I wasn't listening. Brief startling sounds like. But a, I want to. An actress, isn't she the one who did another Earth 
Tom. She was a character in Boogie Nights who gets killed off off screen. Right. Um, I want to add accents, some nautical language, flotation, and mild cannibalism. <laughs> mild. <laughs> what is that? Licking. In keeping with it. Uh, sounds good. Uh, in the Heart of the Sea is at 48 on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive towards In the Heart of the Sea is 43. 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it fell far below the modest projections of making $15 million that I think most, that I think the studio had for it. Uh, it made $11 million and it did not even beat the Hunger Games movie in I believe it's third, oh. maybe fourth. Uh, so in the heart of the sea, foundered. Maybe it'll win this next oh, weekend. Tom, oh. did it, it founder? Floundered. Is that the true story, Tom? Did it actually founder? Uh, wh- what? It's a movie about a shipwreck. I was just doing like a variety headline kind of thing about the box office. I can't. Oh. I can't take any follow up questions. I'm afraid. Right. It's just a reference that I'm dropping and leaving there. Uh, Kelly Wand. It loses its leg. I would, I would like according to Hoyle, it loses its leg. I would like you to uh, recount the events of In the Heart of the Sea with In the Heart of the Sopsis. Is that what you would call a synopsis ah. In the Heart of the Sea? <laughs> I'm like your Melville. And, uh, <laughs> it sounds like a quote from from Tombstone. The title will be announced in the Opsis ah. after the Bond movie opening sequence. Awesome. So it's got like a bookend or something going. Interesting. A different kind of structure. I look forward to it. Well, a bookend means there has to be two, right? Uh, There there have been times like where on my shelf, I only have like one bookend and I just make sure they're kind of leaning towards it. And I don't have a second one. So sometimes you can have just one bookend. And no books? Nope. Definitely have to be books. Otherwise, it's not a bookend. It's just an end. Hmm. All right, so Kelly Wand, let's hear the In the Heart of the Sopsis, or whatever it's going to be called, which we'll find out shortly. The guy from 28 Days Later lives in a wooden kitchen with a wife in it from the 1840s. At dinner, he's all, Damn it, woman, I said I like me steaks tartar, and leave the eyes in. I want what I'm eating to see what's eating it. That's Irish, Tom. It's my Irish accent. He takes a child's skull out of his pocket and begins nibbling it idly. The wife's all, Jonathan, did anything food-related happen in those 90 days on the lifeboat 30 years ago that you're still not telling me? (laughs) I already told you, damn it, woman, once. Oh, yeah, that reminds me. uh, Herman Melville's in the room with us. A guy with hair sits down. He takes out a feather quill and goes, Sir, I wish to speak with you. Ever since I first read script coverage of your whale-caused dehydration, the tale has haunted my bowels. Now I am here to hear your version of your version and turn it into a long postmodern novel. You will be compensated. He reaches into his pocket and slaps a pile of Kleenex onto the table. I'll need it back, by the way. Gleason's all. <clears throat> Melville. Amanda McKittrick-Ross. Now there's a writer. Could even this sinless atom refrain from tainting its spotless gear with the wish of a human heart as those gray eyes looked in bashful tenderness into the glittering jet revolvers that reflected their sparkling luster from nave to circumference, casting a deepened brightness over the whole features of an innocent girl and expressing in invisible silence the thoughts 
nay, even the wish of a fleshy triangle whose base had been bitten by order of the bodiless thinker. Oh, I'm so hard right now. A pity I was born too soon to peruse that Max Landis. Melville gets out a feather quill and some parchment and scribbles. Melville. He looks up expectantly. Some words are all in the heart of the sopsis. <laughs> right. Nailed it. You did. Nailed it. Now you get you get a you get an opsis bone on your uh, vest, Tom. You're capable of outthinking Ron Howard. Brendan Gleason sighs relatably and goes, I was four years old at the time and not present for any of the next few scenes, but I remember it as though it were me talking right now. I'm dribbling tobacco down my crotch as I did yesterday afternoon. His wife's all that was Thursday. Damn it, woman, you weren't there. You can't know how it feels. Brown and hot running down your codpiece. The idiotic screams of the livestock out in the street. And you hear that terrible high-pitched farting. Melville's all, hang on, slow down. He's scribbling furiously. Brendan Gleeson's all, to know the tale of the Sussex is to care about the bickering between two characters, Thor and another character. The camera goes out of focus to convey that we're now in Brendan Gleeson's meandering, distorted, whitewashed version of the 1820s. <laughs> Thor's in an office with an admiralty at it. He's all, what? Oh, I'm not captain. Christ, it's Avengers all over again. An old man in a cravat's all, sir, your pedophagery does you ill credit, I dare say. I've yawned at men for saying less, so this time let me get all that in writing. He slaps down a parchment, finds a quill, then slaps that down. In the 1850s, Melville slaps down a sheet of gold leaf and scribbles, Avengers. In the theater, I slap down a piece of graph paper, underline the word America, then write, things to do today. Give nuclear launch codes to Donald Trump, send Rodman to Korea. The ship set sail that night over dinner at the captain's table. I say, first mate, have some more of this weevil-infested macaroni and cheese, along with this hot, moist, spotted dick. I'd rather not, sir. That's what me father farmed. I hated his all so much. He viciously squeezes a pair of dinner rolls. The captain's all... I believe that was what he was in jail for, wasn't it? Cultivating macaroni and cheese on a plowman's writ? <laughs> Thor throws down his fork. He stands up and goes, I've kissed men for chuckling less. The other guy from 28 Days Later is all, Captain, please, there is such a thing as too many questions, or in this case, statements. Thor storms out. The captain's all, man, what an asshole. Ron Howard then subtly emphasizes that all three men have been dining exclusively on the chicken's head. The next day, the captain's all, Hey, look, a storm. Drive us into it. <laughs> That's him looking through the telescope. Thor's all, Sir? Excuse my French, sir, but I say, the captain's all, all the crew but on the boat freeze and start peeing themselves. Even the wind billows. Thor's all. Where I come from, all I eat me macaroni and cheese farms. A man who steers a ship into storms isn't a man at all, but a bloody two-for-nothing storm steerer. The captain's face grows mottled with rage. Thor's all. You heard me. <laughs> captain's all. Mr. Thor, sir, I hereby declare the ab-aft. 
Please go and paint the portside billycock post-haste before I keelhaul those razor buns right off those pecs. Seaman Beaumont, steer for the disaster. <laughs> it's only spanning two horizons, you cravens. And don't wake me! He stomps off to his cabin, farting angrily. I look over at the anchor sitting beside me and go, that's how shit was. The storm kills a bunch of people and gets the boat wet. The captain's furious. He summons Thor to his quarters and goes, Mr. Thor, you will inform the crew that I am cross with you. You will then apologize to the storm and make all haste to the nearest pinnace. Hey, what I do? You're the one who said go into the storm. <laughs> Damn your impertinence! It's actually a line. You're actually using that real dialogue real... from the movie. Yeah, it might uh, be better if you stick to the actual... <laughs> Through the portholes, we hear all the crewmen gasp at this again. Some pee trickles down through one of the portholes. The next day, the ship finds a whale. <laughs> As both I... <laughs> That's from Melville. As both I and Ron Howard understand it, here's how whaling worked. A bunch of guys would go out in a very tiny boat, stab a 100-ton whale with a hook attached to a rope, and then hope that their boat weighed more. That's what they did. Thor's all. Come on, you kookaburras, let her have both prongs. It's time to free Willy of its life. Brendan Gleeson twinkles at Melville. Pretty lucky I remembered such great dialogue so many years after the fact, eh, Mr. Ryder? Scribbling Melville's all. Yeah. No offense, but my only note so far is question mark. Brendan Gleeson scowls and belches. Melville starts writing. Wait, that's good. Hang on. Since Ron Howard's are Melville, the whale's killed off screen. Then, also in deference to soccer moms, Assistant Captain Thor, uh, the whale's brain's way too small, so naturally we thought of you. Uh, it's blowhole also. Right, well, good thing we have a future novelist source of Bone Boy. God damn it! <sighs> Thor's a better actor than me. <laughs> good thing we have a future novelist source on board. Captain. I hate acting. At least Chris Hemsworth got his lines right, Kelly Wan. I know. There were 1820s flowery lines, as opposed to a bunch of stone gibberish. Cabin boy Gleason, get in there, and if this pail ain't full of brains and we drag ye up, you'll be making up the difference with your own. All the sailors point and laugh at the bucket. Then they pick up and dump the kid into the whale's brain. As he falls, he's all, I just wanted Christmas to be the way it used to be. No oh. callback. See? Ah, oh. uh, too soon? I lean over to Dingus and whisper, it's too bad that in the 1820s they didn't have the tech level yet to just make the whale spout bigger with knives. Dingus is all, good writing. I look over at Bay Leg and go, hey, what color's Moby Dick? But she's all, hey. Really? Wait, hold on, really? <laughs> what are you implying? Nothing. You just made a cameo. It was like uh, Art Carney in the Star Wars Holiday Special. It wasn't a bad one. It wasn't an insult. You said good writing. Oh, I'm just worried about Van Ling. I'm, I'm happy to be sitting next to you. Anyway. Oh, that's the part you're going really about? Yeah, I'm trying to preempt what's Van Ling's in... Oh, no, no, no. It's not that good. 
There might be another scene where the captain browbeats Thor for the whale's brain being small. This movie's not even half over, and I already feel like I've been in a lifeboat my entire life. They stop off in Spain and find a wooden table with an Indian sitting at it. He looks at a character who's not important, crosses himself somberly, gestures to the ocean and goes, Mi perito me esta haciendo pedo tan difícil. Me temo que mi mujer me va a divorciarse de pronto. Thor and the captain walk on screen. The Spaniard gets up, blows dust onto his conquistador helmet, walks up to them, claps Thor on the shoulder, kisses the captain on both buttocks, and goes, Forgive me, my Spanish is nicht so poquito. I have sailed long and hard. Translation, a giant whale attacked my ship between a thousand and two thousand miles from here. I have not been petrified by so much blubber since my wedding night. This whale, it is not white per se, but... Uh, Beneath him, some words are all parentheses in Spanish. The captain looks at Thor and goes, jackpot. Thor's all, jackpot. Shit, I came in late on that. Ron, you want to do another take? Ron, hey, Ron. We jump cut to Moby Dick stoving in the side of the ship. (laughs) With its terrifyingly disinterested face. Then it submerges. The class clown of the crew's all, I think it's gone. The ship's suddenly blown high into the sky on a huge water spout. Thor's all, Captain, sir, I don't think this guy's is coming from the whale's head. The captain's all, toying with us, eh? Well, two can play at that game. I'll be in my cabin. He stomps off. Thor's all, right. Hand me me hammer. I uh, mean my, uh, my harpoon. Nyona. And me fishing rod. Sally. No, I said me fishing rod. Damn your eyes. If it's a fight at once. He makes his usual expression and looks at nothing. Like in Scanners, the whale makes the boat explode. Thor's busy hiding inside the cargo hold at the time, but he tricks the flames by walking through them. (laughs) And ignoring them. I look over at Ron Howard and go, Hey, this part's kind of like Backdraft meets Speed 2, huh? Also, you and Moby Dick have the same forehead. <laughs> seems kind of mean, but... It's not, it seems kind of weird that... Never mind. Celebrities are there. They're in Germany promoting the movie. It could happen. Thor eventually gets into a lifeboat without capsizing it. Someone's all, Didn't you say you were in the cargo hold to grab food and water? Thor rolls his eyes. Modern-day Brendan Gleeson's all. And then nothing happened for three months. It's the perfect ending. Goodbye. His wife walks in and goes, by the way, I've been eavesdropping all this time. (laughs) She walks back out. Remember? Gesturing impatiently, Melville's all, keep going, idiot. I paid good Kleenex. Brendan's all, look, if I'm going to bear me soul about off-screen cannibalism, you need to reciprocate with your own dark secret. Melville's all, all right, very well. (laughs) Sets down the quill, clears his throat, takes a deep breath. All right. Say this, I'm going to say this, okay. Here we go. My deep dark secret on a par with you eating people is... Feel free already. 
if I don't write this book, I may not write it. (sighs) (sighs) The Melville impression. He sits down, wipes a tear onto his cheek with the quill pen, hugs himself reassuringly, and gazes expectantly at Gleason. Okay. (laughs) There's a panoramic shot of the lifeboats drifting in CG Ocean. Some words in an 1820s font are all a million miles from the end of the movie. Emaciated sailors lie around dying in the boats. Captain said, with all due respect, you can't just start dining on the crewmen yet. We've only been adrift eight minutes. Redam your impertinence, Mr. Thor. You will turn your lifeboat around at once, sail back to England and attack and salute it. Or I'll have you put in a lifeboat with a bunch of starving crewmen and see where that gets you. The whale shows up again and makes another lifeboat explode. Then it bails again for the rest of the movie. Everybody scowls miserably at Ron Howard. He's all, what? I'm doing Rob Reiner, doing David Lean. Come on. Got this. The characters find an island. The guy from Inception decides to stay there and live in a cave with Barbara Bach. (laughs) Thor walks into a different cave. (laughs) You know. Looks at something off screen and goes, Ugh, skulls. Damn, that tears it. We have to get off this island. There won't be any skulls in the ocean. Captain, please don't nibble those. Time to get those lifeboats ship shape and ready. Because according to my compass... The compass is broken. They set sail again, but forget to bring food along. Fat adult Gleason shakes his head and goes, We drew short straws. Then we remembered how you're supposed to play and just made one of them shorter. That sped things up. In the lifeboat, the captain's all, Damn, I guess this one's a little shorter, whatever. Very well, I accept my fate. Oh, hey, Kenny, uh, I think you should be the one to show since you're my nephew and all. <laughs> Think I'll go up there never fired a gun before. <clears throat> no worries. Here, I'll help you. You just put your finger on the trigger here, put the barrel here in your mouth, and oh, go, Kenny, no. Oh, well. <laughs> <sighs> Thor's all, hey, look, we're home. They point at the top and walk down the pier. They didn't notice. That all just happened. Kenny's mom waves some balloons and raises a hand-knit sweater on the pier that says, my son is a winner. (laughs) The captain kisses her awkwardly and goes, oh, yeah, hey there, Denise. Uh, She's all, oh, lordy, your breast foul, so so where's me boy? One second, gray bit stuck between your teeth there. Let me just thumbnail that free for ye. Madam, let me assure you that your son was the most delicious, I mean courageous. Uh Now, if you'll excuse me, he goes to him with angry admirals in it, listening to Thor. Thor's all, damn it, a dingo ate me shit. The truth matters. One of the old men's all, hey, were you guys cannibals? There's a rumor going around. (laughs) Plus, the captain keeps gnawing Kenny's skull there. Thor's all, all right, look, the truth has its place. (laughs) Some cursives all. Moby Dick was a flop when it was published because people were too stupid to understand it till the 1920s, long after Melville died in poverty. It was later made into a big-budget speed bump directed by Ron Howard. Then some words are all directed by Ron Howard. The end. All right. Uh, who wants to go first and tell me something wrong with this movie? I, I'm, I'm guessing nobody liked this, right? Like, 
Oh, I, wrong I, with I actively theory. hated it. Yeah, I think yeah. what's wrong with it, uh, right from yeah. the beginning, aside from the fact that the music makes me want to vomit, is I think that the uh, framing device is totally unnecessary and horrible. Dingus, yeah. I have to say, to the credit of the rest of the movie, I thought it was so terrible. I never even, I don't think I even noticed the music. Like so many other things were bothering me in front of the music. So I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I'm not oh, even sure I caught the music. That, the that first moment when he heroically climbs up the rigging, the very first time they're going to like put sail, he has to run up the, the rigging and cut something, and it's so heroic. And the music is just overwhelmingly telling us this is important. It's horrible. This music is absolutely terrible. Okay, well, let's get uh, back to the framing device. Anyway, what's, what's wrong with the framing device? I think it's completely unnecessary. You said, okay, it doesn't work, so, right, like, it could have been taken out, you're saying. Like, well, I, I, I you know, I remember reading this book. I, I really loved this Nathaniel Philbrook book. I really loved it. Um, and I I don't know that I even thought about it in terms of Mo, of having read Moby Dick. I read about it. I read, I read uh, this in the Heart of the Sea book. Many years thereafter, and I loved the book. I think there's a huge, interesting, really beautiful story here to be told, and I don't think it has to have that ridiculous, this is about Moby Dick, this is about Moby Dick, this is about Moby Dick story that constantly feels like it's pinging at us, and I don't even think that the framing device is well done. It does kind of feel like Ron Howard, or uh, actually probably the writers, uh, Amanda Silver and uh, Rick Jaffa, and just one other name, but... Uh, it feels like the script is very insecure and needs to kind of earn its literary merit somehow. So it takes on Melville. Yeah. Like they're going to invoke Melville. Like, hey, we'll t- <laughs> don't mind our shortcomings as as scriptwriters. It's only Melville we're tackling. So it's not like. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I, this is this. I think the main thing wrong with this, in addition to Ron Howard just being a terrible director, uh, oh, it really does feel like this is. Uh, I, I've, I've described this before, uh, where, where some movies just feel like studio product. Um, and the thing is, though, I don't – like it's terrible studio product. Like yeah. some studio product can be good. It's not but fun. It's, it's not fun. I mean it has nothing to recommend it's not, it. It's uh, not dramatic. It's, it's, I, I couldn't care less if it's fun. It's not dramatic. Yeah. Nothing that's happening. It's terrible. And it's weird because like Moby Dick's about Ahab, and I see now that he might have probably been the money because I know that I consider this an interesting story, but it's definitely not heroic. It's more like a bummer, like like Everest, basically. Well, I, I mean, what this bookend bad. does, I mean, I agree it's unnecessary, but it, it's also, I think, out of insecurity, and maybe it's a yeah. studio. Who knows? But uh, what the bookend does is it makes it not a movie about the story of the Essex. It makes it a movie about one man's shame about cannibalism. Yeah, like, right. like that ends up being the point, and that's and it, that even that is handled so ridiculously. Yeah, it is. It is laugh out loud silly when we find out that Caitlin Stark was sitting there listening all along. Like he's so yeah. worried about her finding out, he didn't even look behind him to see if she was standing there, and that uh, she wouldn't know. Yeah, and by the way, like, exactly like it is kind of a given if they're. Floating. That's all a fabrication because in reality, the guy that nephew. Okay, that nephew did draw the short straw. The captain didn't, and then. Uh, the captain pledged to protect him. So when they got back home, the mom was on weird terms with the captain because she, she knew that he'd eaten him. My problem with that is just how obvious it was. I mean, there, there's not a, there wasn't a moment there. Was, I mean, it, it's clear that the little Johnny Deppel-like dude is, is going to shoot himself <laughs> from the get-go. You know yeah. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, well done, Tom. Whether well, so thing is, Kelly Wan and I had to sit and look at this guy for a whole season of, of Fear the Walking Dead. Um, 
Oh, uh, so I knew I hated him for a reason. Yeah, yeah, I've had my fill of that guy for a while. The moment he was on screen, I was like, oh, God. We got to see him get, shoot himself in the head, though. I guess so, yeah. Um, Wait, who is this kid? You're talking about Frank Delane. Uh, I actually don't know his name, but yeah, he's the guy who shoots himself, and he's one of the actors on the spinoff of Walking Dead, and he's oh, terrible in that. Spin-off. Okay, all right. Um, so this, another problem is just everything is so obvious, and, and this movie is is full of a, of, of examples um, of, of of telling us things rather than showing us things. Yeah. And and the first moment, like the moment that I, before I knew anything that was going on about this, and I was just looking forward to some cool yarn about a killer whale i was totally into that or even whaling uh in the, the first moment like yeah, right. that i was kind of like okay I'm, I'm i'm into this is when we see uh michelle uh, fairway the lady stark there i'm like oh cool they got a really good actress she's awesome they're gonna give her something cool to do uh but then we have the little encounter with brendan gleason and ben, ben wishaw and as he's gonna leave she says to him uh michelle fairway says to uh ben wishaw he's in torment He's in need of confession. Right. <laughs> it's sort of like, well, we kind of, I mean, you don't have to have an actor explain that to us yeah. in, in words. Why couldn't she do it, too? You can explain. Right, right. That's something that, that, that a, a character can, can establish. You know, the, the script is constantly having to tell us obvious stuff because yeah. it's too vapid to figure out how yeah. to express it in, in other meaningful ways. And that's a plot didn't. point he must convey. Right, exactly. And that goes through, by the way, to that whole awful cg series of of thor at his little homestead where he is uh he's got blonde locks and determined to conquer the world that is so clumsy and it's such a like here's here's a here's a broad sketch of our character like that's something that would go out in a, in a casting call you know for an actor um, and that's what the kid brendan gleason would be thinking like oh he was so handsome in his farm before we met and then her awful line about i'd love you just as much if you were a merchant captain i mean it, you could explain these things without just having f- overly obvious dialogue to right, tell right. us and and it's full of that stuff uh you know, nothing of the fact that all of this is supposed to be somebody telling a story about something he's never seen which is well, one of my huge pet peeves that is weird but i think the idea is he's kind of filling in like he's catching us by way of herman melville's character up on what's going on like i He's not in on those conversations the in the captain's quarters. Well, that's well, also no, but, the, but I think you can justify it by the idea that he's been on this. You you would consider that that the two of them have been talking when they're on this lifeboat for all of these days. I mean, I can kind of fill in the blanks. It's not as bad as Saving Private Ryan, but it's one of those things of like you're you're giving us flashbacks that never existed. It's hard for me to picture those characters talking that much in the way we've seen them. It's okay, but you're right, Tom, about that whole that, that all that homestead stuff. And as bad as it looked when you were looking at it, imagine in 3D when it looks. I mean, oh my God, I can't tell you how horrible this movie looks. Oh, uh, you saw it in 3D. Sadly, yes. Yeah, it really the CG in this was awful. It, it reminded me of it, it's kind parts. of that that sort of cheap made for TV CG that you get, you know, a modestly budgeted like a mini series. Um, and I'm going to coin a term for this. Uh, this is BBCG. <laughs> well done. I like that. Uh, but God, it, I can't believe this past muster. I mean, who looks at that and thinks, yeah, let's put that on a big screen? I can't even imagine. I mean, there's there's certain things that look okay, but most of it looks just like crap. I don't know what, what the hell they're doing. I was surprised, too. So this was uh, originally supposed to open in March of this year, and it got held until – 
what's basically, for all intents and purposes, award season. Award yeah, season. What the so hell? I was thinking, well, wow, they, they must really think they've got something special here. Uh, here worth going for the gold. Going for the big one. Well, I think I think what they're doing is they they're thinking that Ron Howard has hit his next Apollo thirteen because it's kind of that same. There's sort of a little bit of a thematic element going along with that, and I think Apollo thirteen is a brilliant movie, and I think this is that you know everything's falling apart, men have to work the problem kind of a movie, and it's it's horribly directed. Yeah, I don't. I, I all that's true. Uh, the, did, were you guys into any of the whale stuff? Like, how did the actual like whale and some of those action sequences work for you? None of it looked real. And whales are hard to photograph anyway because they're very big, but they have small eyes, so they're really just giant rocks usually. <laughs> well, they I did, didn't get yeah. what the point was. I, I mean, I honestly didn't get. Were, are we trying to get that there's there, that there is a relationship between Chris Hemsworth and the whale? Uh, yeah, oh, I didn't know. The whale lets them, like when Chris Hemsworth lets the whale go, the and wouldn't have killed. Like when he elects not to throw the harpoon at the whale, the whale's like, okay, I'll let you live. It's Whose totally expression in that scene was more convincing? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but but, when, but Chris Hemsworth's line is, "You're just a whale." I mean, he basically just dismisses him as, "You're not a monster. You're just a whale. I'm going to let you go. You're just a whale." And then, like jobs and then we have that tribunal or the, the pre-tribunal scene where he's like, no, there are monsters out there. We are, I am going to tell right. the truth about monsters in the world. Well, no, you just said it's just a whale. That, you, by the way, also just, had one of my favorite overly obvious lines where, you know, you just showed us something. You don't need a line of dialogue where when he says, you want me to whitewash what happened for profit? When it's clearly what – just heard that. I mean, Dude, that's don't so have topical, to, though. Yeah, you don't have to rephrase what was just said, Chris Hemsworth. Thank you very much. Can you imagine oil from the land? <laughs> Dude, that's so deep. Fuck. I uh, so, yeah. have been smart enough to think of that connection. Uh, but yeah, Dingus, I got, that was another thing I really thought was missing is there was no sense – First of all, in, in the filmmaking of, of of mystery or majesty with this whale, like there were a few shots that I think they thought, hey, that must look awesome with the whales breaching. And I guess it does, but, but there was nothing in the movie to make it look especially majestic or to show us the perspective that someone might have who can be superstitious about these. Like there's no – there's no sense of – Oh. What I'm reminded of, Kelly Wan, and, and thing is, you've probably read, I don't know if you've read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but the first part of it is about how the world is convinced that there's this demon or this sea monster hunting sailing ships, and it's it's the Nautilus, it's Nemo's submarine. Um, but in the first part of the book, we don't know that. It's just about this sea monster that everybody's afraid of. Right. Uh, and there's no sense that, that this is anything that's worth being scared about or that the men care about it or are frightened of it. Or Moby Dick, too, is another example. Yeah, I mean, it's just this old scarred whale. I guess we're supposed to look at it and think, wow, he's been through a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I just didn't – and that at a certain point, I was like, okay, this movie's going to be terrible, but at least we're going to get some awful, some awesome like whale-smashing-up stuff scenes. That's what the trailers were all about. I hadn't seen those, though, so yeah. I, that must have been especially – But I remember reading – Here's what I remember reading, Tom, was that this movie was being written by the dudes who wrote Sex Drive and Hot Tub Time Machine. Well, it's the guys that did the Planet of the Apes movies. And Jurassic World, right? Jurassic World, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, now I don't know what to think anymore. Well, there's also just a sense of wonder about the sea. I mean, having been, like, when you're, 
if you've ever been out on the ocean to where you cannot see land, and there's there's this weird sense of wonder that overtakes you. And I have to imagine, even for sailors who make their living and who are about to go out to be out there for however many months or years, that moment where you break away from the land, that sense of wonder, and then to see the creatures that – exactly what Tom was talking about, that sense of wonder, that sense of awe – uh, there's there's none of that. No matter whether you're harvesting them or not, it's not like it's not like you're 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 taking down a buffalo or, or bringing in a cow. Uh, a whale has there's a different sense because of the sea and the vastness of it. And and I think that this movie just doesn't understand any of that. It doesn't understand that sense of wonder. It does want to make us. Th- it's another thing though, where instead of showing it, it says it. Like there's this bit where yeah. they talk about, "Hey, we're sailing into the madness. You know, this is farther out than we're supposed to go. This yeah. is in the edge of insanity." Oh, uh, good point. Yeah, they do. Yes, but it's, oh, again, uh, there's nothing showing this. It's just somebody has the, basically a voiceover has to say it uh, to make us believe it. Uh, and that's, it's not photographed like that at all. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Is there's yeah. nothing. The movie doesn't do anything to show us as an audience. Is it has to tell us that this is what we're supposed to yeah. think. Um, right. And that's why I despise the framing device, because there were a number of things that he says in past tense that I just felt like if you had presented to us in this in present tense, that would have had so much more effect on me. Like there was there's this line and I can't really put my finger on the exact line, but it's it's we could not tell what direction we were going. If you had done that in real time, but we can't tell what direction we're going. We can't tell what direction it is. I mean, there's such a strangeness to being there in the doldrums. I mean, I, quite frankly, I get them from the Narnia books in the, in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, that, that weird segment where they, they just – we can't move. We're in the middle of an ocean, and we don't know where we're going. Thing we is, have I'm, no idea. Have you, I'm thinking of uh, what Nicholas Winding Refn did at, in Valhalla Rising. Do you Ooh. remember that sequence? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I mean, that's that's beyond the abilities I think of Ron Howard, but that's a great example of, you know, the, the, this, this crazy like stranded at sea sequence, uh, yeah. and how how just really desolate it looked and scary and, and listless and yeah. And I didn't even think of that, Tom, but that's a really great example. Uh, well, another thing that bugged me too about the framing device, I, I feel like it was intentionally misleading us because I hadn't read the book, um, but I know Moby Dick. I feel it was intentionally misleading us to, into thinking that everybody but Brendan Gleeson slash Tom ha- Holland's character was killed, that he was the lone right. survivor of the expedition. Is yeah, because right? he could have just talked to the other survivors. Right. Well, he couldn't. I mean, he does say, you're the last survivor of the Essex. Oh. And so I think we're supposed to th- – and it's just because he was a 14-year-old boy when right, he was on right. board. But I wasn't expecting all of them to live. Like everybody I – means, you know, some token people die. Um, but both the captain and, and Chris Hemsworth make it alive, and I didn't right. think that was going to happen. And they I even we go, gonna, get, go to get the other guys, a couple of the other guys. Yeah, right, right, exactly. They get off the island. And, and I thought we were going to see a movie about how – like in Moby Dick, where where uh, you know everybody dies except one guy. I thought we were going to see a movie where everybody dies except one guy, and he's going to explain to us what happened. Uh, right. And the reason it's a big deal he's going to explain it is because all we know about it is what he has to tell us. Um, right. But no, there's the whole the, inqu- the the inquiry. Everybody testified. The actual events were like put on record. Some multiple yeah. people said this is what happened. Um, I just and that's that's what bugged me about the framing device too. Is just it was so disingenuous with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the that's is it's just one of his one of his many interviews. 
Well, that, that and that's a hallmark too of, of Moby Dick is this whole idea of I alone survived to tell yeah, the tale. It's from right. the Book of Job. Right. It's what what I feel Jaws should have done, and it's why it's really screwy that Hooper lived. But this idea of the, the lone survivor escaping from a calamity and having yeah. to relate it to the world, um, you know, that that's kind of what Moby Dick is. It's I mean, Moby Dick is about many different things to many different yes. people. But I think right. ultimately, it's this idea of of the, the folly of going against the power of God. And it's very much like this Book of Job thing where all this terrible stuff happens and only the one guy lives to talk about it. Uh, you know, to sort of say Ahab fighting against the Leviathan, that's that's folly. You know, you're going to lose. Uh, but everybody has to take his word for it because he's the lone surviving messenger. Uh, and, at, and at what point do you get – at what point do you decide that he – to rely upon the narrator? When do you decide? I mean, yeah, he's told a story, or he hasn't told the story for years upon years upon years, and now we're going to decide he's a reliable narrator. When when is he actually telling the truth? We don't know. And the only point, by the way, is that oh, Brendan Gleeson is ashamed of being a cannibal. Right? Yeah, he commits right. no actions that are relevant. Like he just goes in the whale's brain, but like other than that, he doesn't decide anything. It doesn't seem like, to be like kind of fabricate stuff. There's no like coming of age or him sort of yeah. going into manhood or he anything. Is there? Like he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, He's for the me, same person. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Kelly. Well, just like it's like everything's like apparently Melville actually like he like he thought the captain was actually really humble when he met him, the guy, and that if they'd followed the captain's plan, they would have lived because they were supposed to keep going. His plan was to keep going westward and stuff. So if they're going to fabricate stuff, at least make it more exciting, I guess. I don't know. Uh, can anyone here tell me what a stun soul is? Oh God, I'm so glad you asked that. Because <laughs> boy, they, that we were supposed the audience was like, it, we're like, trust us, this is a big deal. The stun soul, you know, right? If we're gonna roll out the stun soul, the stun soul, ooh, the stun soul. Oh shit! And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think yeah, it's like it, it sounds like nos. Oh, it does. Yeah, we need stun soul. We're gonna need stun soul. Uh, and the funny thing is, if you just like look at how the scene is shot and how it plays out. It implies that once Chris Hemsworth cuts that rope, it makes the storm go away. That's totally yeah, how it he's works. He's the only one who thought to do it. Too. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, and the captain's like, oh, the storm was bad luck. Like, if we're supposed to feel stoked at the end that they unify, and then the captain's like, a sea monster killed us, and that's supposed to be an applause moment. Like, shouldn't the captain at least be not just an idiot, but like, just have. I don't know, a little more texture. Like, they're just different. Like, maybe there's class. That's another thing that it really didn't earn, this idea of them being at loggerheads. I mean, it was another yeah, thing. Yeah. They had to explain it to us, and we had right. to hold that because... It didn't make any sense. Yeah, and every just, now and then, you know, one of them, I think at one point, one of them says, let's... At two points, I think they say, hey, the sooner we get away from each other, the better. Right. Like, right. right. like it's now equal to sustained, like, for a year. Yeah. There's no... Right, and, and it's just and, – and so Thor, who's supposed to be – I guess what I get – I get the sense Ron Howard was like trying to go, oh, he's like a 50s action hero or, or like a 1950s movie star, like or like an Errol Flynn kind of figure. Like his character, he's just resentful that he's not capped. <laughs> like he doesn't do anything heroic in the whole movie. Well, I, I do like I the – like you're, you're, a, you're a land walker and we are island walkers, whatever all that stuff. I, I kind of like some of that. Like political stuff that was going on, you were not born to the island. You're a land lover, and you're you're trying to get your way into here. Uh, I liked some of that stuff. 
That's not virtuous, though. That's not inherently wise or cool. Like, it's just... But it is exclusionary as far as trying to protect your, uh, your, your own merchandise or like Nantucket. It's like, we are, we are this group and you've tried to horn in on what we're doing. Right. But then the movie, this movie is about two hours of life and death matters and not once, unless you count cutting the stun sail. Does Thor do something like to genuinely say? Kelly Warren, I don't know if you heard, but he has blonde locks and he's determined to conquer the world. I don't know uh, what else you need to be told. That's right. clear as day. He did get mad at the captain, so that was cool. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I feel bad that I, I didn't, I couldn't tell at some points in this movie which white guy was which. You know, as their as their beards grew and whatnot, I I couldn't tell who was who. Yeah, Phil, I, I didn't know who Brendan Gleeson was supposed to be on the ship. I was I was losing track of everybody, and by that point I couldn't care less. And and on the island, I had a hard time. And I really liked what Killian Murphy was doing early on because it seemed kind of odd. Um, I kept out. wondering why the fuck are you in this movie? Uh, but even yeah, he was on that movie small. and saying goodbye. I was like, which one are you? I, I was constantly like, which white guy are you? They're hey. friends. <laughs> Because I guess you don't know who Tom Holland is from because you haven't seen. No, Impossible. I do know because you've said it, you you brought him up before. Well, I mean, that's you don't know the reason I know because we've talked about Tom Holland and Tom. Right, but having seen him in other stuff, like you know, he's yeah. one of the voices in Locke. You would know that uh, he's the right. son, but uh, he he's like it, as I mentioned before, he's he's unforgettable in The Impossible, which is also not a very good movie. Um, and you know what he is like, why he's notable now, right? Like he okay, because of uh, Spider-Man. Right? Yeah, yeah, he's like the next yeah. Spider-Man. That, uh, but I only know that because you've told me. Okay. Kelly Wan, you're probably looking forward to that. You care about these comic book things, don't you? <laughs> well, Spider-Man was my top ten favorite movie of... Uh, <laughs> that is true. Ago. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> so, no more uh, Tobey Maguire for you. I'm sorry. I think they need to reboot this reboot that they're rebooting now. I think that needs a reboot. Oh, that's what's getting a reboot. Yeah, yeah, in the Marvel Civil War movie. Right. Oh, and uh, you know what? I can't believe uh, it's not Tobey Maguire anymore. Uh, who's the guy we love, Dingus, who uh, got... Andrew broke... Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Yeah, poor Andrew Garfield. Right. That's who we're replacing. No, yeah. not poor Andrew Garfield. He, he now gets to go and do something he wants to do. <laughs> exactly right. He's, he's, like, banked a bunch of money, and now he can go make more boyes, hopefully. Yeah. That Fear the Walking Dead kid should be the next Spider-Man. He'd be really good. Thanks, Kelly Wand. Yeah, don't really suck that off. Thanks for bringing the rip. Gets, uh, uh, I don't know that there's any good writing in this, but I'm going to test you guys anyway. Yeah. Are you ready for a couple of lines here? Fuck yeah. All right, I'm going to give you a line. You tell me if it's good writing or bad writing, we're going to keep score. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> we're going to keep score, Tom. Yeah. To see. Okay. Loudly. <laughs> you rule this week. Dingus. All right, here's the first one. Uh, Kelly, is it good writing or bad writing? The line, Wales is your family now, boy, for better or worse. Worse, mostly. Kelly, is that good or bad? Wales is your family now? Wales is your family now, boy. For better or worse, worse, mostly. Um, that's bad writing. Dingus, good writing or bad writing? I have to say bad, because as many things as I wrote down about this movie, I can't even remember that line. So yeah, it's, it's Chris Hemsworth to Tom Holland at one point, and... I'm afraid neither of you got the point because in relation to the rest of the movie, it is actually good writing. Like it's it's okay. one non it's a non offensive line. Uh, it, Worse it, mostly. It does. That's the part I was critiquing because I was going by when the did, whole. When does he say that? Violence. So weird. Um, it's I think when they're when they're 
persuading him to get dipped into the whale to oh, get the, yeah. rest of the, the, the juice out, the whale juice. Yeah. Well, oh, when, he's, when he's saying, I can't go down in there because he's the only one who can fit through the hole. And he's like, okay, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. All right. All right, here's another one. Uh, we ate the heart first. Dingus. <laughs> Is that good right? <laughs> How can you give Dingus the softball? <laughs> Shut up. You don't know if it's the softball It's yet. so terrible because of the title of the movie. <sighs> Oh, I, uh, I thought of that too, yeah. Okay, Kelly, is that good writing or bad writing? <laughs> Wait, the fact that Dingus just tricked me because now that makes it good writing. So you're choosing good, all right. Yeah, that's good writing. Uh, I'm afraid it's bad writing because he's supposed to be ashamed, so why is he elaborating on... It's delicious. Yeah, like why is he then explaining the details? We ate the heart for... Why is that pertinent, and why See, do you want to tell the writer this detail? I call it good writing if it makes me laugh, and that part did make me laugh. Well, it's, so, it's it's right after the apology the apology line. I can't talk for about cannibalism. it. At all. all right, wait. No, no, it's, it's the no right-minded sailor discards what might save him, it, which is the the apology line for we're introducing cannibalism into this story, and then we go back to Brennan Gleeson for we hate the we hate the heart first. Why would you eat the heart first? That seems like yeah. a dumb idea. Uh, Kelly, that gives you negative uh, one points. Ding is here at zero points. I knew Ron Howard would fight me on this. What happened? <laughs> well, Kelly Wan lost a point because he thought that was good writing, and it's yeah. bad writing. We Ate the Heart First is pretty good. Cool. Oh, all right, so I climbed up to zero. Dingus, I liked it because of what you said, too, so you're a skilled player. You know what, Dingus, I'm going to revise the math. I'm going to give you one point and leave Kelly Wan at zero. <laughs> That's probably a more efficient way to do it. That's probably how sports is normally done, right? No, it's not. <laughs> if you make a touchdown, the other team doesn't get negative seven points, right? Right, only with a safety. Here we go, Kelly Wan. You're first for this. Armor class is negative. Here you go, Kelly. Yeah. 20 yeah. barrels? 50. Kelly, good writing or bad writing? Uh, hmm. It's math-based. So, usually bad. Dingus? Uh, oh, yes? Never mind. I'm going to go with bad since I'm losing. All right. Dingus is 20 barrels? 50. Dingus, is sure, it good writing or bad writing? Sure, it was 20 and not 40. Uh, anyway, it's terrible writing because it's it's one of these like sports things where it's like his prediction turns out to be it's 49 or 45. Yay. Hey, that's what I said. I said math-based is dumb writing. Well, you're actually you're, – you're right, but I would say for the wrong reason because I sort of feel what they're trying to do there is a direct ripoff of this exchange. Ready for this? That's a 20-footer. 25. What? All right. Fair enough. Because that's that's a one-upsmanship between Hooper and Quint, where Hooper's like, it's 20-footer, and Quint is like, nope, it's 25 feet, and plus, I'm even going to say the weight. (laughs) And because that's they don't like each other. And it's this little character development based on these two men who should know about the size of a shark, measuring from the dorsal to the the tail. Uh, And it's them giving a little one-upsmanship, and... It's furthermore sort of raising the stakes for the movie, like how big this scary fish is. It's going to attack them. Right, right. But in this case, instead of a dick joke, it's a semen joke because it's barrel. Uh, well, it's, no, it's the whale oil. And not only that, even if it is 40, I have in my notes 20 and 50, right. one of them is either an idiot. The, either the guy who underestimates so dramatically is an idiot yeah, or the guy who says true. 50 is overestimating way too Yeah, much. one of them, right. Like no, it should but, have been like Chris Hemsworth. They're not professionals. It's supposed to be – it's supposed to be him as it's supposed to be elevating him because I think it's one of his underlings who's who's guessing it and then he says no this it, it, and your the difference between the two is is striking the right. the jaws 
difference is striking because it has a real great character development. Here it's just designed to elevate him into this this godlike figure where like, oh yeah, oh my god, yes, you're saying this. Yeah. It's it, there's not a contention, and I love that. I love, and I didn't even think about this. I love that Jaws thing because it's contentious. All right, so here then is the last one. Kelly Wan, here's your chance to make a point. Hmm. Kelly Wan, I just made a point. Good. Uh, no, you guys both you tied because you both said oh, it was bad. You're right. right. That's true. Uh, Kelly Wan, good writing or bad writing? The farther Pacific is more desert than ocean. Ooh. I'm sorry. The farther Pacific is more uh, desert than ocean. Good writing or bad writing? The farther writing? Pacific is more desert than ocean. Uh, I think that's stupid. Okay. This ocean is a desert. You don't need to fucking... What's the difference? It's like calling a desert an ocean, which would also be dumb. Okay. It's just giant... Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, bad writing or good writing? Oh, I, I don't remember the line, but I love it. I, did you just make it up? I, I love that line. No, they say it. It, it uh, makes perfect sense uh, if you think, because it suddenly calls to mind Lawrence of Arabia and what is actually going on in the ocean in that <laughs> part of the world. I mean, that's amazing. It's a great line. I'm, I'm standing with my vote. Well, Dingus is right, so he now has two points to your zero points. What? It's a good line because uh, it's actually true. Like, the, the ecosystem out in the middle of the ocean is like the desert. There's no water to sustain a man. Uh, you face the same problems. There's no food. There's nothing to hunt, really, in certain parts. You, you face the same problems in the desert that you do in the ocean. And it's this whole, like, water, water everywhere, nor drop to drink kind of conceit yeah. of, you know, it's just as hostile as being in the desert and dying of thirst. Because that's what happens, by the way, when you're lost at sea is you die of thirst. Right. Yeah. Actually, I'm I think I am dumb because when thing when when people go when people are referring to like a plethora of stuff they always go oh there we have an ocean of cocks but it's like they don't have any cocks it's like oh it's a desert out there so Dingus is right I am not as good a writer well, sure how you parse that you know, a plethora is a sweater uh, what about uh, oil from the ground fancy that you referenced that before Kelly Wand um, how did you feel about that and what it says I don't like about the, the whaling industry. That's spelling things out too much, so bad writing. Oh, but the contest is over. I, uh, Dingus, you won by two points. Kelly won, I'm afraid you have two points. Yeah. God damn it! Because I, I think you could have done something cool with like really showing us the significance of the whaling industry and how oil light would... would the, Wait, the, why doesn't... Well, the, this idea that, you know, here's this natural resource that we need for our convenience, for our luxuries, for lighting... Uh, and let's tell a story about it as an, as, as an industry, uh, and it's kind of like an analog to how we are with actual oil for combustion engines these days. Well, yeah, that's the idea. Right, right, but actual, nothing was done. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I think. Wait, so you're saying that's good writing or bad? No, no, no. I'm saying at that point, I was like, oh, really? That's the story that they're. Tra- that's like a note he wants to leave us on. Uh, you know, he should. There are some parallels. It's true. Well, I know, and there are definitely parallels. And I think it's you know the the whaling oil industry died out once uh, you know eventually like once we fished out the whales and i don't know what we eventually started putting in lamps but i don't think whale oil was was needed uh, after a while dingus you hearing this yeah i am because uh, one of the i mean one He's of my tips right? about like, the beginning of the movie is that is that we we have to be it has to be explained to us the importance of whale whale oil and they do it through this framing device which again annoyed the hell out of me but it was it was even before the framing device it's it's Melville narrating, telling us, you know, why, what the explanation of whale oil is. And I guess any of us who've read Moby Dick understand that already, but maybe 
I guess it has to be good in Moby Dick. Remember that chapter in Moby Dick about the skeleton, Tom? Just the whale skeleton. Uh, I do not. Refresh my memory. I don't remember it either. (laughs) There's one line I really liked when they're chasing, I think, the first whale in the in the boats, and it's Chris Hemsworth. He says, "Take me to the pretty spot," and I really oh god, that That was. Yeah, I wasn't sure I heard that correctly. Uh, I think that's what he says. Take, no, I think you're right. Because I, that's, it's like, did he just say pretty spot? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I think you're right. Okay. And then it, it kind of ruins it with your, your first Nantucket sleigh ride, boys, which is a little silly. But I love that. Take me to the pretty spot. Uh, would it have been implausible to have a black man as one of the harpoon throwers? Like, was that supposed to be a big deal? Like that he, Chris There's Hemsworth, like, is he supposed to be a... Uh, well, Queequeg was a native, right? Like, I, I don't, I actually don't know, but I'm thinking in the 1820s, a black man having this prominent position as the, the lead, like Chris Hemsworth points him, he's like, you're going to be the thrower in this boat. Like, right. is that something that, are we supposed to think, oh, he's super progressive? Oh, I didn't Like know. an unusual thing at that point? And the movie didn't, like, I don't know if the movie even considered it or, like, would that have what, made the uh, men resentful? I don't know. I was like, okay, are we going to find out anything about this? And no, we didn't. I think there's a sense that there's there's this weird democracy that happens as far as that crew is concerned once they get to see. Uh, not democracy. That's probably the wrong way to put it. Um, well, it's very much top down. Like that's you know the yeah. navy is this top down authority, and but I mean, Wayland. I think what's I mean part of you mentioned Queequeg, Kelly Wan. That's exactly it. Like the the pay quote is a is a it's like a, a melting pot. I mean I think it's this this symbolic yeah. like here, here's America and let's put it on a boat like that. So I don't know what they were doing by having a, a black man as a harpooner, and if if that was a, if we were supposed to think, yeah, yay, Chris Hemsworth, like you, you were for racial equality, you know, a couple hundred, a hundred years before it even was considered. Good for you, um, but you still draw the, you still have to draw two straws in the cannibalism pool. It did make me think of Chicory's line in Bone Tomahawk, where the, the Indian professor says uh, that they ask him, well, why didn't the Negro get kidnapped and and chicory by the ca- cannibals. He's like, do they do they think he's poisonous? Yeah, I love <laughs> Kurt Russell's reaction to that. Yeah, chicory, right? He hushes him basically. He's like, That's a dumb question. Uh, should we do over unders or because it's so bad? I mean, is there is there an under for this movie? Uh, and if so, what would it be? As a token, I put Interview with a Vampire just because of that whole. Oh. Like framing device kind of narrative thing because I I really didn't like Interview with the Vampire but I haven't seen it since when whenever but the whole idea of that book is that is the framing device so, so I was the, framing, of, the framing device in Interview with the Vampire because I don't remember it that much is worse than the framing device here but just because I didn't like the adaptation okay sure I'm really I was I was grasping was your over a framing device that works slightly better or did you use a different criteria no my over was Master and Commander Far Side of the World because I Ouch. I didn't care for that movie because uh, I loved the book so much. Um, yeah. and I just thought it was a lot of like Russell Crowe yelling things that were unintelligible. And, uh, but at least it looked – at least I could tell what was going on. In this movie, so many times, I couldn't tell what the fuck was going on and who the fuck was who. But at least in Master and Commander, Far Side of the World, which I even hate saying the title because it's ridiculous if you look at the body of the books um, – at least in those book, in the at least in that movie, you can kind of tell what's going on, and it feels like you're on a boat. You know, another movie that had Russell Crowe yelling <laughs> things unintelligibly, uh, Les Misérables. <laughs> Did you actually watch that? Sure. Yeah. Oh my god. 
You know, he's a uh, kind of like a. It was amazing how terrible a singer is. I love it. It's hilarious. He just doesn't care though, so it makes me like him. It's like and having, also he's up against Jackman, who's a really good singer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like having Fat Russell Crowe in that Man with the Iron Fist movie. <laughs> but it goes oh. with the character. The cop, the cop shouldn't be a good singer. He's a cop. I love Up Against Jackman as a new Charlie Kaufman movie. <laughs> Uh, Kelly, oh, so let, let's see. I didn't know what to do with over unders because they were terrible, but it did make me think. My my under for this. Um, so I've mentioned this before: is that you get a situation where there's a there's a huge, dangerous, overwhelming peril or a monster like this, and there are people who can't do anything against it. You know, this movie should be over in five minutes. The whale comes <laughs> up, he smashes the big boat, he then smashes the little boats. Done. The movie. Yeah. Has, it takes right. five minutes. He's and, following and, us. And kind of to its credit, it gets that part right where, you know, it just hits the big boat a couple of times and then it sinks and that's done. Uh, I don't know why it then takes 34 days to smash one of the smaller boats. But it, it, it works. Makes, yeah. Well, it does kind of. Yeah, it's like just following. And it, ah, that's thirsty. It's, well, it's waiting until they're inside of land, too. Like, is that what yeah. it's doing? It's, it's cruel and patient. Um, yeah. So a movie that I think is even worse at this whole draw out something that should take five minutes and it's an example I've used this before, is a movie called The Reef, where some people fall in the water, and then for 90 minutes, a shark circles them before eating them. You know, that movie, it should be over in five minutes. They fall in the water, shark eats them, credits. Um, uh, a better movie about, which I think is still bad, about a naval adventure. Um, so in, I, I don't know, I think it was at some point in the 20th century, maybe the late no, it's got to be in the 20th century. Uh, a Norwegian fellow had this theory that Polynesians originated as South Americans and that they took rafts across the ocean to Polynesia. And people are like, no, that's crazy. Their technology never would have let them survive a journey that long. You're insane. So this fellow is like, screw you guys. I'm going to prove to you that it actually happened. And using only the technology they had back then, I'm going to sail a raft from South America into the Polynesian Islands, uh, and the raft was called the Contiki, uh, and he then wrote about it, and he actually made the journey, uh, and he wrote a story about it. It was very successful. It was made into a movie about eh, three or four years ago called Contiki, um, and it's kind of interesting. There's some cool shooting in it. It's a good like adventure thing, but they do this really stupid thing where as they're making the journey, the guy realizes – that the raft is going to fall apart if they don't use steel cables because sure enough, the Pacific Ocean is eating away at the ropes, the primitive ropes he used to make the raft to show, yes, early South Americans could have made this journey. The raft is falling apart and they're all going to die. So what he does is they've brought steel cable along just in case. What he does is he throws the steel cable away. He's like, wow. I'm going to prove that this works. I mean, and they're sitting there saying, no, it's going to fall apart. We're going to die. We have to put up the steel cable, and so this guy's like so driven, he throws the, the cable. He up. sounds like the Vincent Gallo character in that science fiction. <laughs> Space Jam. Oh wait, the, the stranded on Mars thing. Yeah. You guys go to give me your oxygen so I can have sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what they were going for is like a Quint thing, where he just like yeah. drives the yeah, boat Ahab. too hard and blows it up. Yeah, but it's it or was the actual, radio. Right, right, smashing the radio. Oh, right, or, or an Ahab thing, Kelly Wan. But this is apparently a historical guy. I don't know if he actually did that. But in this goofy Contiki movie, he imperils everyone's life by saying, you know what? We're throwing out the steel cable, and we're just going to take our chances. So did it work? Actually, yes, it did. I mean, in the oh. movie, it did, yes. 
Nobody died actually in the, that thing. I mean, that's a, that's a, it was it was a, a successful expedition, which kind of makes for a boring movie, I think. Yeah. So that's my over under. Kelly Wan, do you have? And I kind of bracketed it because I wasn't crazy about Contiki. Contiki at least uh, had more manageable. Like I think the spectacle in this was just crappy because of the bad CG. Contiki, I don't think used much CG. Uh, gorgeous movie, um, but no, I wasn't crazy about it. It's just, it's not, I mean, it's such bad CG in this movie, and it's even, it's just, that's exacerbated by having to watch it in 3D. I mean, this movie looks horrible in 3D. It, it looks <laughs> like, 2D. it looks like, uh, I don't know how to put it, but th- this animation where you would have like these cardboard 3D puppets in the foreground. I mean, almost like the, the animation dinosaur? we saw in, um, the dinosaur. In Krampus, which I really liked that animation, but it's like we, we've got Chris Hemsworth in the foreground, and then there's all this stuff deep in the background, and it looks 3D-ish, but it looks like you've got puppets in the foreground. Well, and just the writing, too. I was thinking, because I didn't notice it in, in Everest, but Dingus, you mentioned there are parts of Everest where you, you thought you could tell that they were shooting indoors, and they were. There right. were parts of that where they, they made a soundstage and they shot indoors. There were parts of this where it was so clearly shot, like the lighting mm-hmm. – was such a poor exa- yeah. like substitute yeah. for sunlight. It looked terrible. And I'm thinking like the ocean's oh. all about weather. It's so irritating. And not just the ocean, but like it, it, it really is, is is conspicuous during that homestead scene. Like yeah. It really did. You could just imagine their bright lamps just right out of frame shining on them. It looked awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand, you're over under what what was your bracketing process? Uh, and what did you come up with? Uh my bracketing process was um, for my over. Yes. I, I picked uh, a movie about cannibalism that was less boring. Ah, okay. Well, I think there's – I can't imagine a movie about cannibalism that is more boring. <laughs> yeah. That's actually the grand achievement of In the Heart of the Sea is it takes something that I've never considered boring before in any context and actually does – it made me zone out during. Yeah. Why is it so shy about it? It's like it's I don't know. Why do you want to make the movie about it? Yeah. No, I spent the whole movie wondering that. Like he doesn't seem like he wants to show anything. It seems, it seems like, like too, he's cutting away from the whaling. If if they were going to be cannibals, they should probably like have thrown the bones overboard so that when they get rescued, it doesn't look <laughs> quite so bad. Yeah. yeah, that's very good. Or were they still using them? But the movie doesn't have to apologize. The movie's telling us the story. It's not like it has to be polite to those dudes. Well, I do think, too, like we are a generation of people who have seen the movie alive. Back then, they didn't have that movie. They wouldn't know any better. But it, I think I do think back then, there, there there was probably this idea of a morality and a Christianity and this, this respect for the dead that would make you feel a little more oogie about cannibalism. These days, and I'm sorry, Dingus and Kelly Wand, if I was stranded out in the ocean with you guys and one of you died – I would eat you if it meant me living. I don't think you'd even wait. Dingus, why'd you make it nasty? Sorry, I couldn't Ugh. help. I, I understand what you're saying, but the movie doesn't have to have that same sensibility. The movie can show us whatever it's going to show us. And I just kept thinking as I watched this movie, what director would I prefer have done this? Because why are you being shy about this? There's no reason to be respectful. You're showing us the story. Did anyone come to mind? Because I, I can't, I mean, any director, I mean, pretty much. Yeah, like I, right. But I, I was thinking of that. Uh, I can't. I can't remember the way you say his name. But I kept thinking of Denis Villeneuve making this movie and how awesome it would have been. Just I don't know why he sprang to mind. But well, he, 
I mean, that, that's kind of unfair, Dingus, because he's amazing at doing very different things. So, yes, you want to give him something different like this to see what he would do, do with it. Uh, there were times, though, Dingus, I was watching this and I was thinking, oh, Ron Howard thinks he's Terrence Malick now. Oh. Because they would do these really tight, like, in-focused shots on some small detail, like rope sliding over one of those um, – what do you call a knob on a boat or something? Like a chicken head, Kelly Wan? Yes. Uh, the flagpole on a boat. No, that's a mast. Uh, there was like a shot early in Nantucket of like gold on scales, but this like super tight shot of some detail, which which Terrence Malick infamously, when he's shooting, will set up a big shot or a sequence, right. and then he'll get distracted by a flower and say, hey, come over here and get this shot of this flower, and then he'll edit it in and make it look poetic. Uh I kind of feel like, is that what Ron Howard thought he was doing with these occasional super tight shots? I think he was also, like, some of the post-processing for the 3D was really highlighting those moments. Like, when the harpoons are being sharpened on the stone, it's just being poked in your face over and over again. It's not those scary, like, oh, an arrow's flying at us. It's, here's a harpoon coming at you as it's being sharpened on a stone, and here's rope as it's going over that thing you're talking about, and it looks like a real rope. You look like you're looking at a real thing. I wonder, because if that's like part of what they were doing over the last like eight whatever months, like were they trying to put in like it? Because those could have easily been put in after the fact. They didn't look like make the rope sort of for us, sir. Part you of you know, you're process. right. Actually, they they do look like they could have been done without anybody in, else in the frame. Yeah. So was that part of what they you know how they did post processing for three? Is like, oh, we got to put in some shots that, shots that earn this. And I foolishly thought they were trying to be artistic, but no, it sounds like they're trying to get their 3D premium. I think so. Prices. Redeemium, guys. All right, Kelly, Wand, your overs and unders. So, uh, what, what do you got also, for us? I want to add yeah. that I'm really stringy and I would taste like weed. So, one, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees. Help, like, I'm caught up in between, counting one, two, three, eat a pot, and every day. So, Kelly, Wand, was that a disincentive, or were you just apologizing in advance in case we had to eat you? Because I'd still eat you. Yeah, you're, we can use plenty of jerky. Why didn't they just live off a bearded clam? <laughs> Did you actually have? So you were going to say a, a movie that uh, about cannibalism that wasn't as boring? Oh as yeah, this Ravenous. One. Ravenous is great. I think Ravenous, Ravenous is like, yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's this black comedy about cannibalism in a way. Yeah, great cast too. Yeah. So and Kelly, what my- did you have? A- yeah, I was going to say, did you have a hard time? Because I did think of a movie that's worse than Heart of the Sea. Um, I watched two found footage movies this weekend, Area 51. Ew. Ouch. And, and Exists, the Bigfoot one. Is that the one and that the- uh, Bobcat Goldthwait directed? <laughs> wow. Um, I think I'm making that up, but I'm serious. He, he did a found footage movie about Bigfoot. I don't remember what it's called. It's terrible. Bobcat did a Bigfoot. Maybe. You think I'm making this up, but it's oh, wait, an actual... Is the one with the beer bottles in the background that I like? Oh, what is that movie? I know what you're talking about, Dingus. Hold I don't on. know. Tom's... Or don't I did on. show you some scene from something, yeah. And, or, I don't and know I noticed a beer bottle. Like, oh, that's a beer I like. Yeah. I don't know if it was that or not, but because it, that... Uh, it's called Willow Creek. I'm looking it up now. I cheated. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I think it is. All right. right. So, exists... From celebrated director... Is that the one? Right. Yeah, no, it really did, yeah. Uh, is Exists the one where it turns out to be Aliens? No, it's Bigfoot. Okay, so there's another Bigfoot movie where it turns out to be Aliens. Spoiler. Bigfoot turns out to be Aliens? Yep. 
What's, it seems like a waste. It's a Bigfoot found footage movie. It's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to Is it the one where you find out at the end that Bigfoot is dragging? Oh, that's the Bobcat Goldthwait one. Where you find out Bigfoot is dragging away females to breed with. Like you do. <laughs> All right, so tell us about the found footage movies and how they're worse than In the Heart of the Sea, Kelly One. I feel like I like the... There's the most the, of all found footage types. The the most prevalent one is the aliens, mm-hmm. and I think I tend to like those the most. Like I tend to watch all of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this was my least favorite because it had like the least good aliens in it. Mm. So, but I'm a but I was an apologist for the VHS two aliens. What was your question? What was, was the one where the where Tom Our told us about a video camera falling out of a plane or something. Yeah, that's where the kid gets uh, abducted and the aliens find the video camera and they're like, you won't be needing this and they throw it out of the UFO and that's that's how the movie ends. Wait. The found footage is the, the camera falling out of the atmosphere and then smashing. That's been used now in three different alien abduction ones. It was They did that in VHS 2, they did that in Abducted, and they did it in Area 51 also. Uh, abducted or alien abduction, you mean? Uh, I think Alien Abduction. Yeah, and that Alien Abduction, I don't think is bad. I mean, it's it's not as bad as most found footage horror movies. I like That's the aliens in it, but the I don't know. I just wish the characters were more. Well, you're not going to get that in a found footage movie. Kind of I think thing. they should start with the abduction, and the whole movie's on the ship. That's my theory. Uh, you know, Fire in the Sky, don't you? Mm. Yeah, but that's yeah. the opposite of what. That's the best one, actually. Well, but it's, it's because it's those ten minutes. It saves it for for the rise. Yeah. Um, but the rest of it's nothing. So wait, I still don't understand what your under is and why it's your under for in the heart of the sea. Oh, my under's open water. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Open water's way better than heart of the sea. What's the matter? No, the second wait, one. Open water too, he said. Oh, right, 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 right. Open water too, right. Have you even seen that or you just know about it through me? Because I suffer. Uh, no, I watched it. Because it said open water. I'm like, oh, this will be good. And then, ugh. It's, it bears... It's, it's still kind of a good idea, though. What? Is worse it better than, or worse than that ski that ski lift one about the wolves, Tom? Uh, that's called Frozen, not to be confused with the Disney cartoon. I don't know how they got away with that. Uh, you think someone's water, bought those that one by mistake for their kid? I would love that. I would love that. Uh, Open Water Two is worse because Frozen has some inadvertently hilarious parts. Like it's trying to show horrifying things, and they're inadvertently hilarious. Like where somebody falls asleep with his face against the pole. And it has to do yeah. that dumber, dumber thing where he has to pull his skin off of the pole. Yeah. It's supposed to be horrifying, but it's kind of like, really? That's how you're going to horrify us. That's that's the survival dilemma, is you fell asleep and now you've got your face froze to the pole. <laughs> uh, and then they have to bring in wolves to terrorize the people. Uh, and wolves are always fun on on camera because they're just dogs that want to play. If I was a wolf, I'd camp ski lifts. That's what these wolves do. They, they camp this gear. Like the one guy, he's like, I'm going to get help. I'm going to deal with the fall. I'll break my leg, whatever. I'll crawl down the mountain and get us help. He falls out of the ski lift, breaks his leg, and before he can crawl away, like wolves show up and they eat him. And now the other two people are like, well, rats, you know, we're stuck here. We can't drop down because it's a wolf. <laughs> Did they say that? Uh, and actually, no, they say, no, it's a wolf. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, Dingus Frozen is, is better than uh, – Wait, then what happens? Now I'm invested in these characters. Uh, what does happen? So uh, one of the guys – I think so it's a guy and a girl left, and I think the guy then drops down and distracts the wolves <laughs> so that the girl can drop down and escape, I believe. Uh, <laughs> That's how wolves work. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, I could be forgetting. Would, they just, would the wolves just get them both? 
Not in this movie. These wolves are very focused on one guy at a time. I'll distract them. Uh, ADHD wolves. Yeah. I'll distract them by falling first straight down, and while they're all feeding in a feeding frenzy right under where you are about to drop. <laughs> I don't, you know what? Don't hold this movie accountable for that. I could be misremembering. Uh, That's a good thing to say to her, though, to like kind of cheer, like, uh, cheer up for the future. Like, mm. He's being heroic, Kelly Wan. He's yeah. sacrificing himself for the girl. Yeah. Kelly Wan, let's do a three by three. I hated this, by the way. <laughs> oh, I loved this one. The listeners I hated liked it, it, but then I loved it. Spoiler. Ah. What is it, Kelly Wan? What's this week's three by three? Three best voicemails or office going? No. Oh, Kelly. <laughs> Once again, Kelly Wan does not remember his own three by three. Outgoing. That's the word I'm trying to remember. Let's oh, hear voicemails, you. Marlene. Try again. Let's hear you say the title of the this. The three by three, December fourteenth, two thousand fifteen. Topic is three best voicemails, outgoing messages, and that was the third one. Was Dingus answering machine messages? There you go. Oh, oh, right. Very good. All right. So I'm introducing next week's three by three. So I'll go first. What I'm going to do each time is I'm actually going to tell you what the uh, outgoing messages. Like, if you were to call this answer machine, here's what you would hear. And okay. you just have to guess the movie. All right. Uh, hi there. Ha, 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 fooled you. You're talking to a machine. But don't be shy. It's okay. Machines need love, too. So talk to it. Ginger, that's me, or Sarah, we'll get back to you. Wait for the beep. So is it that, or is it her leaving the message and saying that she's a tech noir? It's her leaving. No, it's not even that dingus. It's Paul Winfield saying, oh, yeah, I know that place when she says I'm at Tech Noir. Why does Paul Winfield know Tech Noir? Because <laughs> it's on Pico. Him? He knows Pico. <laughs> is this from Volcano? <laughs> I wish. Yeah. No, this is a, the original Terminator. Uh, and it's uh, so people this wouldn't work these days. It's an anachronism now because nobody has an actual answering machine to screen their calls. But the Terminator has killed Sarah Connor's roommate because he thinks she is Sarah Connor. Right. So for all intents and purposes, he's done. He did what he needed to do. What an idiot. Well, no, he's done. He's, he's succeeded. He's going to go back and I don't know what happens after they're done, if they go back in time or whatever. But then the real Sarah Connor calls and says, Ginger, this is Sarah. Here is my address where I am at. Just <laughs> if there's any robot standing right, over exactly. There. Just as the Terminator is standing there hearing. And it's yeah. one of these like – you know, obviously, did Cameron write Terminator? That's the future, though, making it happen. Is it him or is it Galen? Her- I can't remember who wrote it. Actually, I didn't know the Galen. I think, I think he did. Cameron I think I think you're right. He wrote it. But it's basically it's basically a writer's problem. Like, okay, right. how does how are we going to get the Terminator to figure out where Sarah Connor is? Uh, but I'm okay with it. Like, Sarah Connor's OP. But what's so great about it is you're talking to a machine. Well, that's so. I wonder too. Like, is they trying to be clever she, with this whole? She. Yeah, oh, I think they totally are. That's what yeah. I think. That's great about that. They are being. Well, it's also kind of silly because when the machine clicks on, Schwarzenegger spins around with his pistol like he needs to shoot it. Like, like he doesn't. He doesn't recognize another machine. His stupid, yeah, exactly. his stupid laser-sighted pistol that he uses right. at three feet. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, exactly. But but he also he doesn't know like a, a an answering machine like it could be a person who's walked into the room. He's like, I hey, what I are you doing? Take the sets, flip over. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I heard the rewind button. Uh, so I I just love that little moment. The Terminator. It uh, I remember originally like seeing and loving the Terminator, and it never seen mean out of sorts to me. It makes perfect sense. But uh, he steps on the headphones because he's evil. Uh, 
I rewatched that scene because what I thought was I, I what I what I remembered for some weird reason was that because the roommate Ginger has her headphones on that Sarah has called to warn her and then there was a message from Sarah that she didn't hear. I forgot that moment where he spins around and points right. his gun at the answering machine. I thought it was like the Terminator later like played the message, but it makes more sense nice the way that it plays out. But I, I just had this imaginary, this idea of her with her headphones. Well, on that's what gets her anything. killed. That's the, while he's fighting Rick Rossovich in the right. bedroom. Right. She's got the earphones on. And by the way, Dingus, James Cameron knows how to write a script because these earphones have been established previously in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not like just out of the blue. Hey, this chick's like character trait is she wears earphones. We knew that about her beforehand. Furthermore, earlier earlier in the movie, when we find out that Sarah Connor has been stood up by her date, so she's just going to go to you know she's like poor Sarah Connor. Nobody will date her. We Cameron is establishing the answering machine at that point because Ginger comes in. She's like, hey, did you check the messages? She turns the messages on. There's one for Sarah Connor's mom. Then there's a message from Sarah Connor's date saying. Sorry, I can't make it tonight. I'll make it up to you in the future. I'll talk to you in a day or two. Right. So that's establishing the answering machine. Right. No. It's not but like her, a blue thing. But the Terminator also steps on the headphones. Because right, it's just the same way he drives over the toy of the truck. Right. He pulls up in the to the previous Sarah Connor's house. In just the in case. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also foreshadowing once ball. again. It's Cameron laying the groundwork. It's foreshadowing that a truck is going to get. Smash later in the movie as well. Right. Or blown up, yeah. All right, Dingus, what is your number three favorite? Uh, I am not a toy. Of the three things that Kelly Wan listed for the 3x3, three three, what's your third favorite? All right, here's the message. You've reached the Los Angeles Police Department uh, emergency number. All of our lines are busy. If you need a police car sent, uh, I'm sorry, if you need a police car sent out to you, please stay on the line. Pretty much any movie where 911 doesn't work. Right. I know this one, though. It sounds familiar. It sounds familiar because it's the moment before Sarah Connor calls the answer. Oh. <laughs> this is my favorite one because this has actually happened to me. And she calls 911, and you see her at the telephone, at the at the payphone there at Tech Noir. Being and you see her. What would you say? Do you know who's leering at her? No. That's Cameron's cameo. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> I didn't know that. Is he acting? But, but then you see her obviously punching nine one one, and then she gets that message from the nine one one. And I, I've actually like witnessed uh, a school bus uh, getting in an accident on a Los Angeles freeway. This is one of the first things I saw. Not one of the first things, but one of the early things I saw when I first moved here. I was going to a temp job in Woodland Hills, and I was on the one hundred one, and it was it was. It was a rainy day, and a school bus got in an accident with a car right next to my car, and I just got off the freeway. This is before I had a cell phone, and I drove to the nearest 7-Eleven and dialed 911 to try to report that I'd just seen an accident on the freeway because I didn't know, like, who's going to report this? A school bus just ran into a car, and I got this message, this, uh, you've reached Los Angeles Public, uh, Police Department. Uh, all of our lines are busy. If this is an emergency, stay on the line thing. And I, I could not believe it. I could not believe having moved here from Virginia to Los Angeles that when you call nine one that nine one one that it would be possible to get an answering machine rather than actually getting uh, than actually getting a person because it's nine one one. How would that be possible? So basically, Dingus, you're saying the Terminator is totally realistic. 
yes, absolutely. Yep. It absolutely is realistic. So I love that moment where Sarah Connor calls and and the LAPD is basically like, eh, we can't be here. Sorry. Uh, if you need a police car, just hang out. Kelly Wand, is your number three pick also the Terminator? I defeat the model 911. That hurt. No, my number three is uh, in um, He's Just Not That Into You. Oh, you, that's your second He's Just Not That Into You references podcast. Yeah. I like this. I'm really into that movie. I don't even know what that movie is, but I like this. Um, Drew Barrymore is... I mean, it's from a chick-lit, chick-lit novel, isn't it? And it, it's it like is? A, isn't it? Probably. Could be I just wrong. assume I get it mixed up with New Year's Day. I just assume it's another holiday movie because it's got like the same people. What holiday is he's just not that into you? Like, That's the, the holiday. It's Valentine's Day. Oh, okay, Valentine's Day. The day after Valentine's Day. Um, it's known as the he's just not that into you day. Yeah. Okay. And what's That's the uh, what is the uh, voicemail outgoing message or answering machine message? Uh, in these movies, no one acts the way they do in RL. So mm-hmm. at work, Drew Barrymore's colleagues are all, "Hey, let's hear what your uh, that guy you went out with uh, left you on your answering machine. That'll be fun. Let's all do that together as a group." All right, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds cool. So then she puts it on, and then I think it's Paul Red. And he's like, hey, Sandra, Sandra, Bobandra, Banana, Fana, Fofandra, what's up? And he says a bunch of, like, sweet nothings, and then he hangs up, and they're all, oh, he sounds sweet, he's great. And then it rings again, and then it's Paul Rudd again going, Denise, 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 Bobandra, <laughs> oh, shit, oh. <laughs> and then all the colleagues go, oh, yeah. And they all disperse, and Drew Barrymore looks depressed. So that, that's my number three. All right. Uh, here's a, here's an, an outgoing message from a machine. You guys tell me the movie. <laughs> this is Crestview 54124. Mr. Hammer, whom you are calling, is not available at present. If you wish to leave a record of your call, please state your message at the sound of the tone. Well, I don't know. Kelly Wine, I was hoping you might know this one. Is that Dingus's message? <laughs> uh, uh, this is the um, actual first appearance of an answering machine in a movie. Does that, does that give it away? Mr. Hammer. Can I tell you the year? It's ni- this, mo- this is a movie that came out in 1955, <laughs> an answering machine, <laughs> which is Jeez. amazing. What? I know. Why does it keep getting weirder? The clues keep getting more... I can't surprise you don't know this one, Kelly Wand. So I'll just give it away. It's a it's an adaptation of a Mickey Spillane Mike Hammer novel, oh, infamously right. hated, called Kiss Me Deadly. Um, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's an answering machine in that. Yeah, he totally. It's it's on the wall, and it's, yeah, and it's we've real, seen that because uh, he's like a minute. No, Nick, go ahead. Anyway, well, it's a, it's a it's a reel to reel tape machine on the wall, and his phone is there at the base, and he uses it to screen his calls, and it's in at least two. It's in two scenes. Um, Three, I think. Uh, and he uses it like very conspicuously in two of the scenes where a call comes in and he waits to find out who it is and then he picks up the phone because they're leaving the message. And he's like, oh, hi, and then he talks to him. Uh, but this is 1955, and the screenwriter, uh, a fellow named A.I. Pezzarides, who uh, was, was blacklisted back in the day, um, he had been an electrical engineer, and he says that he just thought they were cool and he wanted to put it in the movie. You know, this was this new 
bleeding edge technological invention, and he wanted his Mike Hammer to have it. Uh, right. So I just I just love seeing that in that in that you know this movie in 1955, which by the way is awesome. I had no idea how how well this thing holds up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's good. But is it the answering? Is it the words that you're saying, or the actual answering machine? Both. I mean, just first of all, the uh, message is recorded by his awesome uh, sort of sidekick, girlfriend, secretary, honeypot, blackmail trap, like this this woman in many roles uh, named Velda. Uh, who's awesome. She's the one that, like, tapes the message for him. Uh, So it's her voice. Uh, So there you go. That's a good choice. I like that choice. And that you you won't generally find me doing movies. You know, this was – they didn't really know how to make good movies back then, but every now and then something like Casablanca's Kiss Me Deadly would accidentally happen. Uh, They didn't live in the platinum age of In the Heart of the Sea. Right. They they didn't have Ron Howard around to sort of explain things how to do. Stupid David Land. Uh, all right, so Simpletons. thing is, what is your number two favorite answering machine message, outgoing message, uh, or outgoing? Yeah, right. yeah. Here's mine. This is a total cheat, and I love it. All right, here's a quote from it. Hello, this is Harris. I'm in right now, so you can talk to me personally. Please start talking at the sound of the beep. Beep. Sounds like something Bill Murray would do. Uh, it's from a movie called L.A. Story, and it's Lord. when I, I was close. <laughs> when uh, Victoria Tennant calls, uh, I'm sorry, I think her name is Sarah, uh, calls Harris Telemacher. That's the name of uh, of Steve Martin's. He's trying to get That's used to his new answering machine, uh, his new phone, and, he, and there's a there's a gag later on where he's trying to program it to be able to use voice recognition. So he's like, "Call mom," and then the phone like tries to do the voice activated thing it rings and it's like hello dominus pizza but this is a moment and this is his outgoing message is him basically screening calls himself uh which is something that i actually tried to do once when my employer was calling me uh so he he actually talks he actually says this line you know at the sound of the beep and then he holds up a little beeper up to the receiver and then he makes the beep sound and she says uh you know is this a person? Yeah, this is a person. You can talk. So it's his weird uh, outgoing message, which isn't really an outgoing message. So if the if the quarter three uh, three by three cop has to pull me over, that's fine. Kelly Wand, how do you feel about that? Um, I heard parts of it, <laughs> so I'm gonna let him slide this time. All right, Kelly Wand, what is your second With favorite? My radar gun, voicemail, answering machine message, or outgoing message on a in a movie. Uh, okay, I'm going to do a quote. <clears throat> yeah, hi, Bill Lumber calling. Yeah, it's not a half day or anything. Uh, just calling. That's from the motion picture Office Space, where, um, what's his name, Ron Livingstone gets messages from his work to come in, and then he just deletes them. Actually, they put him to sleep, and he sleeps. He leaves them on, he doesn't even delete them. He deletes, like, the first ten but then sleeps through like the next 30, 20 to 50. And that's when I, I thought I was the only person who did that. So it's my number two because it taught me that I wasn't alone. Just sleeping through your messages, you mean? Work related. Okay. Gotta come into work. Just gotta do work today. What if there's a personal message though in there that you wouldn't want to miss and you're asleep because you've been listening to work related? He gets another one too from his girlfriend breaking up with him. You'd want to be awake for that. Sleep. No, you wouldn't. Would you? Fuck that shit. You'd want to know it, otherwise you'd think you were still dating. 
No. It could be awkward. No. Okay. The less, the better. The less talk, the better at that okay. stage. You just want them to know that you're broken up when you never show up again. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, let's get to our very favorite answering machine messages, outgoing messages, or voicemails. Uh, I don't know. Is that relationship talk? I don't know for this particular one what the actual message, outgoing message is on the voicemail, but here is the message that has been left, that is, that is uh, recorded. Uh, here we go. Hi, honey. I'm on my way home. If you need me to pick up something on the way, let me know. Girls, no, don't touch. Laura, stop it. Give me a call on my cell. See you in a bit. Bye. That's obviously Kudrow. <laughs> or Meryl. You wouldn't get this one, Kelly Wan, but I guess you, what? you might get that. Does that no, I, I don't know what it is. All right. It's being left by Danny Houston. Oh, is it Bert? Oh, um, no. Oh. It's another movie where I don't mind Danny Houston so much because he dies fairly early on. Uh, it's 21 Grams. So I was trying to think oh. of instances where somebody is like grieving and they don't want to delete a message from someone who's died. Uh, and 21 Grams, Naomi Watts' husband and children get killed early on in the movie, and this is the last she hears from them right before they get hit by a car. Uh, and it's her... Like several times, she's just listening to the message over and over, and she doesn't want to delete it. Uh, it's just her sort of hanging on to it. Because I was thinking of instances, and I know we've seen this other places, where there's like a, a message or a recording that's the last thing you hear from a loved one or that is, is kept as a remembrance of a loved one. San Andreas uh, had a few of those. I do not remember them. Can you can uh, you elaborate for us? I don't think I, I – actually, I think it's something <laughs> Uh, but it also fits very thematically into 21 Grams, which is a kind of a three-part character or three-piece character study about people grieving death. Um, Sean Penn's character is sort of dealing with his own death. Naomi Watts, of course, the death of her, her husband and her children. Um, Benicio del Toro, who's the guy who ran over them. He's grieving deaths that he's caused. Uh, and so the, what about Luke in Star Wars playing the Leah hologram over and over? Because he's grieving for it. You're the three by three cop. Does that work? Is that allowed? No, it's dumb. It's a, it's a message, though. Yeah, it's not true. voicemails. The thing is, I was gonna. I guess he's not grieving. I wanted to mention the one from Interstellar where uh, Jessica Chastain ah. leaves a message from Matthew McConaughey, which I, I love that moment. I know you guys weren't into it, but it was a video message. So I was assuming because he specifically said voicemail. Right. So I was assuming I couldn't do that. Uh, no, I would have let you have that. Well. <sighs> Can I swap out Terminator and then boot up Kiss Me Dead? No, you have to swap out. And then have my number one pick be Interstellar? You I even can only that. do two, one sad one, so you have to take out 21 Grams. But 21 Grams is better than Interstellar. So you no, know what? I like, I mean, I'll pull you over. I, no, I really like I mean, 21 Grams. I'm giving you a police it, escort now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thing is, what is your uh, favorite uh, pick for this uh, topic? All right, here's a quote from it, but not from the voicemail that I would choose from this movie. But this is one of my favorite quotes from this movie, and I watched this again uh, because I thought that this was going to appear, uh, and I knew it was going to happen at the end. So here's a quote. Lucked out, I got voicemail. Everything's cool. Ah, uh, shit. I know this. I know it. I don't know what it is, but I know it. It sounds funny. Maybe it's just dingus. No, I know it. it. It's something that I have seen, and I know in the moment I say it, 
Dingus, I, Dingus probably even he's, knows that I know it. Dadgummit. He's good at trying to make it sound like a joke line, but it's actually like a serious... No, I think, that, I think he's doing it in earnest. I think he's doing it the way it is in the movie. Yeah. Shoot. And I think, you know what, not only do I know it, I think it's something I really like. Is that correct, Dingus? Yeah, it's one of your favorite movies. Dadgummit. So the, the voicemail, that if you were going to record a voicemail, it would be from the end of the movie, and it's, Hello, Miles, it's Maya. Oh. Thanks for your letter. <laughs> Did you really go through all that? Uh, so this is from the movie Lady Sideways. In the water. Uh, okay. This is Sideways, and um, the the I was really looking for these moments where Jack is dodging uh, the voicemails that his fiance Christine is constantly leaving on his phone, and and Miles finally demands you have to call her, and you have to call her right now, and then Miles has to have this uncomfortable conversation because Jack kicks him out of the hotel room. Let me talk to her alone then. And he has to have this uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation from the balcony down to, you know, the awesome girl on the motorcycle. And then finally, uh, Jack comes out and goes, whew, lucked out. I got voicemail. Everything's cool. Um, and that, that really taps into that, heart, that whole thing of, I have to make this call, but goddamn, I hope it goes to voicemail. Um, but the, the most, the beautiful moment is, is of course, Maya calling Miles at the end to tell him that she's read his novel and what she thinks about it and her, what her concerns are and her concerns about their relationship. It's just beautifully done. It's a beautiful piece. So that's the pick, though, not the Thomas Hayden Church bit. That, that's okay, yeah, yeah. Thomas Hayden Church bit is, is just the, the thing that kind of hooked me in this. There's voicemails in this. I know there's voicemails in this. And then I remembered the answering machine message because Miles goes into his – I mean, there's that whole sequence where he's sitting in his classroom and he's just staring off into space. And he goes back to his sad apartment and he puts his keys into the bowl and he goes over and he hits the button on his answering machine. And then you hear her responding to a letter he wrote to her. And this is this wonderful difference because I prefer to write letters to people than to talk to them on the phone, to be quite honest. And it's this this great thing of he's written her this long letter and she hasn't responded to it right away because she didn't feel like she could. But when she finally does, she does it in in a semi-immediate way. She's calling him to talk to him. But she gets his answering machine, and presumably she knows he's probably at school teaching when she calls. But she leaves this heartfelt message about having read his book, and he gets it immediately. It's not getting a letter and reading it and then writing back. It's her voice talking to him, telling him, I read your book. These are the things I think about it. Did you really go about that? Oh, the sister character. Oh, my God. And and then this final thing at the end of the thing, where, at the end of the message where she says, keep writing. And if you're ever, you know, if you're ever up here, you know, contact me. I don't think I'll be still working at that same restaurant, but, but, you know, get in touch with me. And that's what, that's what inspires him to drive back to her. Uh, is this, this voice message from her. It's, it's this real, it's this feeling that he can grab onto her in the same way that she feels like, oh, he sent me his, his words handwritten to me. I, I love that ending part, but the, the the opening thing that I brought up, Tom, you're right. It was it's just that that amusing part where Jack comes out of the room and says, "Ah, I got a voicemail. All right, so we're all good." You may not realize this, but there's a there's a, a deleted scene that was going to be at the end of Sideways, where then Virginia Madsen, uh, her girlfriend, says to her after she hangs up the phone, "Well, how did it go?" And Virginia Madsen says, "Lucked out. I got voicemail." <laughs> like, they, but then he felt that that didn't really fit the tone of her character, and they cut that. So. Thanks, Tom. That's how election ended too, originally. <laughs> By the way, you guys are both still in the doghouse. Don't think you're not in the doghouse for not having seen a Thomas Hayden Church tour de force 
called Whitewash that made my top ten of the of the mm, year. You're right. I, 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 I am in the doghouse about. I'm a, or in the dog sled. Uh, yeah, so I was just up in a very snowy area that made me think of that movie. It was called Canada, which is also where that movie takes place. Uh, and uh, yeah, and you mentioned Thomas Hayden Church. That lucked out, got voicemail. Made me think of snow. <laughs> He's just so good in whitewash. One thing led to another. Kelly, one, don't try to get off the hook for having not seen whitewash. I saw Blind White or whatever the thing with Kate Beckinsale in the shower. It's white out. Blind White. Blind White. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, your turn. What is your favorite? This was your topic. What probably inspired it by being your favorite voicemail, answering machine message, or outgoing message? It's too good for me to do, but it's uh, Paul Rudd's. I have two Paul Rudd's. He's really good at leaving uh, voicemails. Fife, you know what to do. Which one's that? Sorry, go ahead. Wait, maybe that's from mine, I think. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So, I was just, I was giving you yeah. the cue line. Fife, you know what to do. Oh, hey, uh, it's Sydney Clavin calling for Peter Thornton's. No, wait, what did I say? I meant it's Peter Clavin's calling for people Thornton's. Hey, Denise. Oh, hey, listen. So, just wondered if you want to go to lunch. Ah, I can't do it. It's too good. It goes on for it's twenty minutes. Great, but it's hilarious. Yeah, so hilarious good. one. Was it written or it had to be improvised because it's so organic sounding? I think it's improvised because you can see a, a ton of other things where he's doing that whole, um, you know, uh, Joe in. Sliced and in, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, good. tell people what it's from. It's from I Love You, Man, when Paul Rudd asks Jason Siegel out on a mandate. And, right. Uh, he spends and, like 10 minutes kind of psyching himself up for it. Right, so that cool. whole practicing, the practicing the phone call for the first yeah. day. I love that. And pretending yeah. pretending you're not nervous that you're going to do it and just like acting like, ah, oh, this isn't a big deal. And like kind of like he's like kind of boinging the card mm-hmm. with, his, yeah. with his middle finger. Like, yeah, I can do this anytime. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, shit. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And I okay. love that Siegel's outgoing message is Fife, you know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of the. The uh, meet cute in Fight Club between Ed Norton and Brad Pitt, and then he calls oh. him. He's like, "Hey, it's me, the clever guy." Oh yeah. And he's like eating those chips. Yeah, I love that bit. He's, How's yeah, that working out? While he's you? talking. <laughs> you want to come over? You just had to ask. I don't know. That's from a different conversation. But anyway, my number one's "I Love You, Man," which I thought would be an exciting choice for both. That's people. a great choice. You I guys kind of talked me into that movie. All right, what is the uh, what do the listeners have for us, Kelly Wand? You said it was a popular topic. They loved it. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, there's so much going on in the listener world, as I call it. James Miller writes, "Hello, this is my first submission, although I've been listening for quite a while." Number one, in Big Lebowski, Jeff Lebowski listens to his messages that contain an official of the bowling league citing an infraction perpetrated by his team when John Goodman brandishes a firearm during league play. <laughs> I kind of remember that. I forget the specifics. Yeah, it's not Nam Smokey. There are rules. It's where the the guy, where John Goodman says the guy stepped on the line to take his score off of the the sheet. The guy's like, "No, I wasn't on the line," and that's where John Goodman pulls a pistol on him and says, "This is not Nam Smokey. There are rules." 
and for this, I think I'll be arrested by the Kelly, but I'll share anyway. In the 1998 movie Happiness, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character has a crush on Lara Flynn Boyle and blind dials numbers in a phone book trying to find her. After what must have been weeks of failing, he finds her, actually. And when she answers, he blurts out, I know who you are and you're nothing. You think you're fucking something, but you're fucking nothing. You're empty. You are a zero. You are a black hole. And I'm going to fuck you so bad you'll be coming out of your ears. I saw this movie in an empty auditorium with my sister at our local art house oh, theater. Oh, my. That sounds like something in the movie. And we almost fell out of our seats laughing through the whole thing. Now this becomes a phone message because when the movie finally came out on DVD, I held my phone up to my television and let it be a message for my sister to let her know I'd gotten it. Wow. Wait, that's a thought. That's a great one. He's leaving a... Isn't it a voicemail? He's doing... No, he's answering. No, it's a crank he's call, answer. Yeah. But he is, James Miller is saying he used it as a yeah. phone message, so therefore, yeah. Are you going to pull him over, Kelly Wand? No. Wow, look how loud like, the law is. Yeah, he's RLing like, it, and you're, you're allowing RL stuff. Yeah. Right. My Kelly favorite Wand, letters once, are letters I've written about movies. Yeah, I once wrote, I once left someone a very funny message. I would have picked that if I'd known we could use real life. Yeah, and I did I that whole, like, hello, hello, yeah. ha ha, you're talking to a machine thing. I did that. Wait, to who? Like that's, that's what you leave on your outgoing message to make somebody uh, think they've picked up the phone, that you picked up the phone. Yeah. Uh, well, you can do it back to them. Hello? All right, congratulations, James. You got away from the law when I think if you'd been in any other 3x3, three three, you would have been arrested. Here's the thing. Here's my justification. It's is when he says all, when Philip Seymour Hoffman's character says all that, right? it basically is the substance of... Like, it sounds like a message she was going to leave, but she happened to pick up. So it was an intended voicemail. So he just didn't get it's just to a say. different format. It's like switching from, uh, like, we're not recording this podcast on, uh, what's magnetic tape called? Three-quarter inch. <laughs> it's been a while. Holy cow. Quarter inch. Ten millimeter. Let's save that for anyway. our tech podcast. All I'm saying is... It sounds like a voice message, so it may as well be one by the process of intelligent design. Next we have, <laughs> now that I've won that argument with Tom, both theologically and scientifically, uh, TJ writes, just one this week. Here's a quote. Hi, this is Carrie. Sorry for freaking out, but your baby has special needs. Oh, nice. I love this oh, wow. one. Uh, that's a good one. See? Oh, that's a great one. I do love that. Oh, holy cats. How did we not think of that? This is a good topic. I think I just, I think it, I lucked out because I don't normally have very good topics. The increasingly frantic series of messages that the babysitter leaves for Helen, Elastigirl, is just fun to listen to. It ratchets the tension back up quickly for the final confrontation while continuing to build this world that they live in. I love so many of the little touches Brad Bird put in this amazing film. Thanks for the podcast, TJ. That's a great choice. Emmett Coffin. Not to be confused with the Johnny Depp alike in in the Heart of the Sea. What's his name? What Coffin? Is his name like he? Kevin Coffin or something? I forget. <laughs> Howard Coffin. Um, yeah. yeah. Wait, I'm wrapping my brain around that. Which I'm it? wondering is that did Ron Howard think, or did someone think Kevin that was Coffin. a did someone think that was a Moby Dick reference? Who knows? There's oh, probably yeah. someone who was really there. It's got to be like, I think isn't it? it might I have think been that's a historical of, reference. It might have been one of Emmett Coffin's ancestors. Hmm. Oh, so now we're dicks. Oh, sorry, Emmett. 
Don't plus. listen to the first part of the podcast. I do have some stuff that you might not find tasteful. The plot salinates. As opposed to my usual shtick. Emmett Coffin writes, The Incredibles. I think it's a different one, though. There's a lot of voicemails of The Incredibles. After defeating the Omnidroid, the Parr family's taking a limo back to their house. Helen's checking their phone messages on the way and finds a series of urgent messages from the babysitter. Having trouble dealing with Jack-Jack special needs. That is the same one. All right. I guess the word special needs should have meant that. And the last message, the babysitter thanks for hiring a sitter, which she never did. Thankfully, the family arrives home just in time to check the new sitter's credentials. Colton W. Westrate writes... Oh, wow. I love that name. Colton W. Westrate. Yeah, I think we've had that before. And yeah, that said something dumb. about it being like a chemistry kind of a thing. What's your favorite part of that? Westrate. Only one answering machine message instantly popped into my head when the 3x3 topic was revealed. Let me set the scene. The apartment and antique shop below it are on fire. In the shop, our heroes are battling against overwhelming numbers to protect a fallen comrade until they can escape. An answering machine from the apartment above dangles by its burning cord through a hole in the ceiling. The phone starts ringing. You can try to guess the movie here if you want. Can't Sorry. The answering machine picks up. It's April's boss. Movies with characters named April, I always get mixed up. Dingus. He's calling to regretfully inform her that she's fired. After fumbling for words a bit, he ends the call by saying, I'm sorry, I know this comes as a blow. At that exact moment, the cord burns through and the answering machine plummets. It lands on the head of a member of the Foot Clan, knocking him out. Casey Jones is the last person to escape the room. He knows he'll have to relay the message. I still don't know it. I'm sure you realize by now that my picture from the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Wow, but that does read like an IMDb Opsis. Yeah, it's like the whole movie. In a good way. Mock me if you have to, but I still love it. Later, dudes, Colton. I kind of remember liking that movie, too. Or it was the second one. One of them's really good. I think it's one where Splinter gets fucked up really bad. Wow. Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, number three, the campaign. Will Farrell thinks he's leaving an extremely explicit message on his mistress's answering machine, but it turns out he actually dialed the number of a very religious family instead. <laughs> his polling numbers drop accordingly. I think Tom saw that. I did, yes, unfortunately. Uh, I like that movie. I think I'm the only person who likes it. I think it's funny. Number two, that is the appropriate response to that. <laughs> number two, Lincoln Lawyer. I never saw this movie. I like that movie. Yeah. I get the McConaughey lawyer movies mixed up. William H. Macy leaves McConaughey a message stating he has uncovered a crucial piece of evidence just before he's murdered. The voicemail not only helps McConaughey solve the case on which he's working, but Macy's murder as well. So he liked it for the, uh, the plot device. Number one, Greenberg. Ben Stiller gets slightly messed up at a party. Oh, this is a great one. Oh, Shit. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed. That's a really good one. Fuck. That would have been a, that's much better than any of mine. Ben Stiller gets slightly messed up at a party and leaves Greta Gerwig a long rambling message that includes such gems as I really like you and hurt people hurt people. It's a great voicemail, even though Stiller says it's more of a letter and the movie ends just as Gerwig's about to listen to it. And do you remember the last line? This is you? This is me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would have considered that, but having just seen Mistress America, I'm really not happy with Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. 
What? I know. You didn't tell me that. Infreaking-sufferable. Oh, my God, it was awful. Maybe you're just getting to be... The reaction is that strong. Well, Francis Ha was my favorite movie two years ago, and it was... Greta Gerwig wrote it uh, with Noah Baumbach, and he directed it, so here they are again, and it, it... it made me like Francis Ha less. I mean, it's that bad. Wow. And we have a, a friend named Tony. Did he steer you away from that? Well, I, we have a friend who didn't like it, but I was going to see it anyway. I mean, nobody right. just steered me away from it. I was, you know. Uh, me neither, but your reaction makes me not want to bother with it. Uh, it you kind of, well, you know what? Yeah, it, it's really, uh, I mean, it's kind of funny to see Greta Gerwig doing a very different kind of character. Uh, she wrote it. I'm guessing she wrote it where she was supposed to be the main character, but she's a little too old, so she had someone else play it. And, and the, the actress playing the main character is good, and Greta Gerwig is kind of fascinating to watch, but God, it is so awful and just so like self-conscious and smug and pleased with how clever it is and incredibly painful. But yeah. at any rate, that moment in, and the pivotal moment in, in Greenberg is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you about Oh yeah, you didn't like Toast to London either, season three. So I am not. Yeah, I've. Uh, yeah. I'm still in tissue. I'm still into Matt Berry though, but yeah, I'm, I, this, this current season is not working. There are lots of things I don't like, Kelly Wand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's my superpower. But stuff that I would have expected. <laughs> As a superhero, you're the not liker. Yeah. A rump. Yeah, right. The rumpfer. Yeah, that's. Right. What's your kryptonite? <laughs> Stuff you like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good things. Mistletoe. Interstellar. Chris Webb writes, Milis a long-time white bad, but this first time writing in. <laughs> I think it's fine, because he's obviously ethnic based on his name. Chris Webb. No relation. I have just one, a quote from an answering machine. Hi, I feel really stupid calling again. I wish someone would just pick up a call or something. Max, are you there? Are you doing a crossword? I have this fear that you're all around the machine giggling or something. (laughs) Grover, I just wanted to tell you that I... Grover is a college student whose girlfriend Jane has left him for Europe following graduation and the motion picture Kicking and Screaming. Our only glimpse into Jane's life in Europe is through messages left on the answering machine shared by Grover and his housemates. The quote's from a message that we hear three times, but only toward the conclusion of the film does Grover have the courage to let the message finish with, I just wanted to tell you that I that I miss you. We then see that the idea is being played from a boombox now. Grover saved the message on a cassette. Hmm. Once again, Noah Baumbach, I'm not interested in it. Kicking and Screaming? Oh, you can't break up with him just because of that. Uh, that's a, Yeah, Kicking and Screaming is his first movie. Yeah. Do you like it? Uh, I actually don't remember it that well. I, I think I've sort of basically I've only seen up part with, of it. Yeah, I think yeah. I basically picked up, I, like, his second movie I remember, which I'm not crazy about, which is Mr. Jealousy. Uh, like, early, I don't think I like early Baumbach. There's just that little period that has it now ended. Out. It has now ended with When We Were Young and... Uh, Mistress America, uh, where I did like him, but yeah. I don't like late Howard. <laughs> uh, some came in right at the wire, Tom. Pretty exciting. I felt mm. bad for that guy who missed the missile deadline. That's how missiles are. 
Nick D writes, hi guys, number three, obvious child. The main character Donna decides to drunk dial her ex-boyfriend and winds up leaving numerous voicemails. The best one is the girl you dumped me for as HPV. The kind of HPV that gives you warts on your stuff and um, ovarian cancer? Have a great life. I'll be here with my normal HPV that one in four nice women have. And there will not be an apology message for this apology message. That's pretty good. I haven't seen that because I found Jenny Slate so annoying in Parks and Rec, uh, but I feel like I maybe should see it. Dingus, did you ever see Obvious Child? No, because I couldn't stand the title. <laughs> Was it too... What's the word? On the... On no, the it's, it's because uh, I am familiar with the Paul Simon song, and it just felt really, you know, too cute. Or too Sundancey. I think it was it was along the line of I you know as much as I loved Win Win, after like we all talked about it and Tom was asking is this too too Sundancey or not? Some of those movies I just kind of I don't know I just cringe from now. I don't know why that is. And I loved Win Win, but Obvious Child just seemed. Ugh. Oh, that's the Win Win guy. No, no, it has nothing to do with it. It's just uh, this this ripple effect. You mean yeah. Sundance, two, the two Sundance. The two Sundance thing, yeah. All right. Hmm. Tom only likes middle Baumbach. <laughs> There's kind of a sweet spot you have to hit, yeah. Yeah. The Goldilocks zone. Number two, I love you, man. Paul Rudd's painful phone message to Jason Siegel who arranges first mandate is great, especially the look on his face after hanging up. Yeah, I can't replicate that. It's really funny. Remember? Number one, Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin. Wait. Fuck, I can't remember if I've watched it or not. Blue Ruin. You would would like that. I mean, I think you would remember if you watched it. I think I started and I went, this is amazing. And then I I got sidetracked or distracted or something. Fuck. Yeah, it has a really good opening. I remember now what happens. The protagonist tricks his enemies by hiding in their house and leaving a message on their answering machine to make him think he's somewhere far away. When they come in and listen to the message, he's able to get the drop on them. Cheers, Nick. Hmm. Okay, Chris Markardson writes, Hey guys, my number two and number one picks might be in violation of the rules. If Uh-oh. so, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. I have a feeling he's going to get away with it. Yeah. What are you talking about? I'm a very serious, uh, hard-hitting... He is, I'm like Judge Judy. He has diplomatic immunity, I'm afraid. Wait, am I a judge or a police officer? I forgot. Mm-hmm. Number three. Yeah, hi, it's Bill Lumberg. It's about 10 o'clock. Yeah, just uh, wondering where you are. In office space, when Peter decides not to go into work, his manager leaves a series of voice messages for him, wondering where he is, and for him to come in as soon as he can. I really enjoyed Gary Cole as the jerk manager in this movie. Number two, Howard, it's Bateman, Patrick Bateman. You're my lawyer, so I think you should know. I've killed a lot of people. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, I want to watch that movie right now. As Patrick Bateman's world begins to unwind and his mental state deteriorates an American psycho, he leaves a voicemail, a confession for his lawyer detailing all the people he's killed. I love Christian Bale's performance in this movie so much, and the voice message where he's on the verge of breaking into tears is just excellent. Number one, the Freedom for Animals Association on 2nd Avenue is the secret headquarters of the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. They're the ones who are going to do it. I can't do anything more now. I have to go. Have a Merry Christmas. Up until this point, yeah. I remember it now that I'm saying it, like most things that I say. 
up until this point, I was thinking that 12 Monkeys might have a happy ending. When Madeline Stowe starts to tell Bruce Willis her voice message and he finishes it, there's this wonderful moment where they both realize there's nothing they can do and they accept what's going to happen. Thanks, guys. Chris. Oh, that's awesome, Chris. Good one. That's yeah. Really good. That's really good. That, yeah. That's your last chance to try and buck the system, though. Yeah. Like, at least put on a different hat. That's our last one, though. <laughs> I'm not for sure if Chris was going to say, like, lemon tree, lemon tree, tippy-toe, tippy-toe. Never mind. Uh, do you have any runner-ups, Tom? No one picked swingers. I thought everybody, because when I mentioned this, oh, uh, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah, when I mentioned this to my sister, uh, she was immediately like, "Well, there's an obvious one." I was like, "Oh, what?" She's like, "Well, there's swingers." I was like, "Oh, of course, right." <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, yeah. I have a theory: the listeners will be shamed to mention swingers, like they don't want us to read it snarkily or something. Mm, well, no, no we love one. made. That's a good I mean, choice. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, I don't think we're swingers haters here. I didn't even think of that. That ho- that horrible date. Yeah. Well, that's kind of yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's no, it's sort a good of day. The, it's just a bad phone. Message. Right, right, exactly. He's screwing it up, and then he leaves all the messages. Because I went back and watched it. It's a little too, like it's a little sitcommy. It's cute. It's it's funny, but um, and maybe Swingers is kind of like that. Swingers might be a little too precious at this point. But yeah. I think the way it ends with that weird and uh, and it's uh, oh god, what's her name? It's not Vera Farmiga. Oh, Heather Graham. No, uh, no, it's Langford. it's Phoenix. It's Dark Phoenix. What's her name? Uh, oh, uh, Famke Janssen. Yeah, Famke Janssen. Oh. They wind up, and there's that whole custody weird stuff going on, and it does have sort of a, uh, a really kind of warm wrap-up weird stuff that goes on that makes it seem more like a TV kind of a thing. Wait, is that Swingers or Maid? That's Maid. that Swingers? No. Yeah, so is where that... John Favreau is like a... a is he calls like... Brooke Langton. Oh, I thought it was Swingers. Swingers, I recall kind of like... Swingers, there's no... Yeah. I like them both. I like... You know what, though? I've watched Made again, and kind of the, the best part is when Vince Vaughn does the envelope thing. And then after that... Uh, but I love their chemistry. Like, I just love watching... Yeah, I know. There's less of it, though. Like, in the last 20 minutes, there's kind of it sort of, like, nothing funny happens. Uh, Vince Vaughn with the gun? Like, that whole thing isn't funny? That's okay, and then he comes back, and then there's the custody stuff. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah, I, I don't like that stuff. I love isn't a good ending I love Made. Made, but I don't like that stuff. The so where's this hit and miss? One that uh, I I really like this, but I can't. I don't. The, I don't think the movie gets credit for it. Uh, there's uh, in there's a, a bit in shortcuts where Andy McDowell and uh, I want to say Bruce Robinson. That's not correct. But anyway, uh, a couple. Their their son comes back from school and he's hit his head and he he doesn't feel well. Um, and I think his birthday is coming up. Uh, and eventually he dies from some sort of a cerebral embolism, uh, and the it's from a Raymond Carver short story. Uh, and as they're sort of dealing with his death, they forget that they have hired a baker to make, I think, his birthday cake. And the baker is calling saying, hey, when are you going to pick this cake up? And he's, he keeps leaving messages saying, you know, I made this cake. Would you pick it up already? Uh, and he gets increasingly exasperated. He's leaving in more messages. And they finally show up, and they say, look, we're sorry, our son died. And he's just really remorseful about it, and he sits with them in his bakery, and he makes them cookies, I think. Um, that's the Raymond Carver short story, and they try to do that in, in shortcuts. But uh, it's uh, – who's the – Lyle Lovett plays the baker. I don't think it works nearly as good as the Raymond Carver short story. Hmm. That's I almost as good casting as Thor as Captain Ahab. But yeah, what? Sorry, so I, I, from that story, I imagined the baker having a little more weight. 
yeah, I yeah, what well, I love it is an interesting choice, but I'm not sure that it it really fits that well. Yeah, it, it makes the baker seem a little odd and weird. Yeah, uh, Dingus, you must have some runners up. Uh, I have two. Uh, the one that's my favorite is uh, from this the uh, not the opening scene, but the opening segment of um, Zero Effect, and uh, and it's not it's not a message you hear, but it's a message that you're referred to, because one of the things that I was doing was thinking about people referring to voicemails and what they've done to their lives and, and what they mean to them, and uh, and it's when uh, Ben Stiller is sitting there with his friend in the bar and and just a, and complaining about the working for Bill Pullman, and the guy's like, well, why do you do it? And he says that he's he's quit the law firm that he worked for because he just felt that that's not what he wanted to do with his life. And he, he, he talks about, and, uh, you know, I get this message on my voicemail, uh, on my machine. And it's from this guy who says he watched me in a court case and I'm the only man for the job. And that's what pulls him into this whole world where he is the sole client for Bill Pullman. And it's just this one voicemail this, that this guy saw him on this court case. You're the only man for this job. Is this weird voicemail? He, he he just sort of dashes that off as a thing. I think uh, if you'd picked that, you wouldn't have gotten arrested. I'm probably you. not. Yeah. Uh, the other one, and I probably should get arrested for this. And this, you know, this is I, I can't believe nobody even made fun of this as our listeners. Is the voicemail or the answering machine message that Harry leaves to Sally, and when Harry met Sally, uh, where he sings to her on a karaoke machine, and he's like, "Call me." It isn't too late to just phone moi. Uh, he because they've had this moment where they do a, a karaoke thing in a, in a toy store, and then he brings it home because he's offended her by not calling her after they've slept together, and and he's trying to make amends after the holidays. And it's one of those scenes where the character is just listening to somebody leave me- leave messages and not picking up. And one of those messages, she finally picks up, and he's like, "Oh, oh, you picked up." And he's done this whole karaoke thing on Harry Met Sally. And anyway, oh, I figured I'd with that. I'm feeling a little nauseated now, Dingus. Oh, yeah. God, That's I the one she down. picks up on? I think so, yeah. I think because uh, yeah. it, it might be uh, another one where he's trying to get her to say, look, if, uh, you know, if we don't have dates for New Year's and you don't have a date, maybe you can call. And finally she picks up, and she's like, I'm not going to be your consolation prize. Uh, they can both do better. That's my review of that movie. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, but that's my only uh, that's my only other runner up. But mainly, did that just to nauseate Tom? Ugh, it worked. Well done. Thanks. Yeah, me too. I literally feel ill now. My work here is done. the dumbest word. Well, let me see if I can make you feel better with next week's three by three, Kelly Wand. Ready for this? Ooh! <laughs> uh, I don't know how this one will play. We'll see. Um, I have a couple specific things in mind. Now, here's the thing. When you pick something for this 3x3, three three, I also need you to explain to me a scene that makes that pick valid for you. And what this is, is your three worst action heroes. We, for instance, saw uh, uh, you know, uh, Thor running around in the, in the rigging and cutting the thing loose. That, that was goofy. I didn't think he was a great action hero there. I might pick Chris Hemsworth. Uh, we, we spoke briefly... Uh, on, uh, I, I'd spoken before on some of the previous podcasts about this movie called Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, where Fred Ward 
is an action hero. He's unlikely, but I don't think he's the worst. I wouldn't pick him. Um, but anybody who you think is really bad at being an action hero, here's another example. Harrison Ford picking at the stucco of the cantina, you know, in the in, in that Star Wars movie. People think he's a great action hero, but he's terrible in that scene. Because he picks at the stucco? Yeah. He, 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 yeah. Tom's re- he's Tom's- awful. He's awful. Tom's reaction to that is ridiculous. He's like, oh, he's just doing character. Right? He's awful. All the actors in Star Wars, except for Peter Cushion, are awful. Everybody knows that. Uh, but no, Harrison Ford is great at what he does. Uh, <laughs> what I want from you is your three worst action heroes, and tell me about a scene that makes that action hero a terrible action hero. A lot of choices here. You know, do with it what you will. Uh, send those in if you've got any picks that you'd like us to read on the air. Send those to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Uh, and we'd love to read them. Uh, Kelly, normally here's where I would field questions about the 3x3, three three, but I feel like... Wait, so the stucco... Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll field questions about Harrison Ford's acting ability. I know. Yes, Kelly Wand. I mean, isn't that just the smart play? Because he's distracting... He's distracting Jabba from... Or no, what's the guy's... Greedo. Uh, right, Greedo. right, right. I knew it. He's distracting Greedo from us looking at what he's doing with his other hand. Right. Under the table. Right. In the in the in the Plus position, the stucco picks first. Well, and everyone knows too that Rode- <laughs> Rodeans can see through tables. So. Uh, I was going to say Rodean, Rodeo Drive. It's Rodean, isn't it? I don't actually. Have, it's a word that I've. It's a word that I've read, but I don't know how to say it out loud. Yeah. Say it again, Rodean. Roiden? Rodian? Rodian? I don't know. Cesar does. <laughs> What's that word? Tom says weird. Windmill. 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 I don't know how you guys say it. That's the way it's actually spoken. But Windmill. Uh, so send your picks in, and uh, let's see. Uh, next week, we are going to see the eagerly awaited and highly anticip- anticipated Sisters, starring uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Awesome. So join us for that. <laughs> I know everyone's excited to see Sisters. As yeah. we drove past one of the billboards, my son said, are you going to see that movie? <laughs> he pointed up at <laughs> yeah. the movie with two women in a bathtub. Uh, I want to see half of that movie. I really like Amy Poehler. Which half of them? Tina Fey. Like she kind of bounces off of me. I don't know what that is. Um, Love to bounce off her. I, oh, Kelly Wan, don't make it dirty. She's a milf, huh? I can't do that. Because right, I, I know exactly why she bounces off you. Why? Because you're mad about the whole Sarah Palin thing. No. Oh, that. See that. Uh, that makes that help. Hot. Yeah. That, I know. Dingus, thank you. I now think that Tina Fey is hot, and I want to see Sisters even more. Thank uh, you. No, I'm all about making fun of Sarah Palin, and uh, that's part of what I love about her. She's Sarah so- Palin would have made a really good Sally in the Billy Crystal movie. Now you're – Kelly Wan, that's beyond the pale. That kind of talk I will not brook. Yeah, imagine uh, her doing the I'll have what she's having. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking. I'm imagining it. All Take right, a break. Billy Crystal from her porch. <laughs> uh, no, we're obviously seeing that silly Star Wars thing next week. Uh, Dingus, I know you're psyched, but I really think it's gonna. I don't know. I mean, I don't. We haven't. Dingus and I have not seen trailers. We don't really know anything about what's going in. Mm. I'm kind of afraid it's not going to be good. Dingus, are you more optimistic than that? I am being purposely optimistic to the point where I am sending a Star Wars postcard to every one of my friends for every day this month. I am really getting psyched up on purpose. Putting Billy Bob. Uh, so Dingus. That way, it's just, you're, it's just going to lead to heartache. It's like this way, if it's not – like I'm going to be happier with the movie than you will be no matter how good it is if it's not terrible. So come on over to my side, Dingus. Just assume it's going to be terrible. Nope. I'm not going to do that. I'm going right. to – I'm going to go in 
happy as a clam. Because remember how well that Remember how well that worked out in Phantom Menace and Age of Ultron. I don't remember any of those movies. I don't think those things exist. Guy one, Dingus was a lot more fond of the Star Trek movies than we were, though. So maybe he's. I more... like the first Star Trek movie. I think it's funny. I think that oh, when he has picture. that hand. Yeah, <laughs> that one's hilarious. Especially the uh, tractor beams malfunctioning. That part's funny. <laughs> but also, J.J. Uh, Abrams said, or as I just call him J.J. Wait, are you going to tell us something about the movie? Because I don't want to hear anything about the movie. No, no, no. Oh, okay. He just said when he was a kid, oh. Star Wars came out and it blew his mind. But you can't rely on, but you can't rely on nostalgia. You just want to. You got to be awesome to invoke that. Like you can't just like coast on goodwill. Like you got to actually. Sounds to me like he's making excuses for why the movie's not going to be any good. No, I thought that sounded encouraging. Am I dumb? Well, of course he thinks he's going to make a great movie. He probably thought Super Eight was awesome. No, but he. Um, maybe he learned from Super 8 because also that quote, like, that's what I think sucks about most movies now is like, they are coasting on nostalgia. And actually it's kind of what I thought of the Star Wars trailers was they were coasting on nostalgia. Oh, I haven't so, seen them. So see, it's just like, remember how great no, it was. I don't, don't tell me what's before, in the, oh, okay. Right. Right. For those stupid prequels. Like that's the vibe of the trailers. Dingus, you've, like, you've still Star not Wars seen it. No, of course Dingus hasn't seen them. Yeah. No, but I love coasting coasting on nostalgia as a number of biopics. Like, I don't know. I can, I can think of a number of biopics that you would use the title coasting on nostalgia. Straight out of Compton. That's where I was going, Kelly Wand. Very well done. Are you going to Compton? Get out of my head. Mm. All right. At any rate, we're seeing this. That's what the whale said about Brendan Gleeson. That's what the whale said. The whale said about Tom Holland. Kelly Wan, get your actors right. About Spider-Man. I was hoping you would make Spider-Man references about little Tom Holland in the uh, Heart of the Synopsis. Heart of the Synopsis. Heart of the Synopsis. I love that. He didn't call him Spider-Man. I'm sad about that. We ate the synopsis first. He would have a Spider-Man. So we're seeing the Star Wars movie. Join us for that. We will do our three-by-three of uh, worst action heroes. I'm Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Moroloski. It's Christian Moroski. We also had Kelly Wand. We ate the heart, the balls, the whole damn thing. After trouble, put my feet on the floor. I wrapped the towel uh, around me uh, and I opened uh, the door. Uh, and in a split splash, I jumped back in the bath. When I was out of know there was a party going on. There was a kitchen and a flash. Reeling with the feeling. Uh, uh, La, 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 la. Dingus, I really found Cocoon the Return to be the Empire Strikes Back of the Cocoon trilogy. I'll get whiskey. Can I ask you a serious question? Absolutely not. <laughs> Miller time. That's how I hit on Tom. 